Hello and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, as we bring to you another installment from the audio archives. The main purpose of these releases is to save and preserve by freely sharing in digital format Ripper-related recordings originally made on cassette tapes that, over the many years, are now quickly deteriorating. The following sound recording we are pleased to be able to bring to you is from a live call-in show that took place on LBC Radio in London on the night of the 20th of August, 2003, hosted by Jeremy Beadle and featuring as his guests Paul Begg, Paul Feldman, Andy Aleff, and Christopher Michael DeGrazia. This radio program occurred just three days after the hosts and guests attended the 2003 Jack the Ripper Conference in Liverpool, which was organized by Claudia Oliver, Paul Begg, Andy Aleff, and Adam Wood and where Jeremy Beadle, as he often did, acted as the master of ceremonies. The call-in show started at about 10 p.m. that night in August and lasts just over two hours, and we release it just as it was recorded off the air some 16 years ago. I sure enjoyed listening to this piece of Ripperology history, and I'm sure you will too. Yes, it's true. And tonight we're going to be extremely grown up. Uh, this is not a program for anybody of a nervous disposition. Be warned, it's all about Jack the Ripper. Jeremy Beadle. Tune in to London LBC. That's the number, and tonight we're talking murder. Well, or we're talking unsolved murder, because we're going to be discussing Jack the Ripper. Now, as this is a London talk station, I expect you to be ringing with hundreds of really sensible questions. Uh, if you've got, if you were a witness to any of the murders, we'd like to hear from you. You'd be a bit old, of course, because it was in 1888. Um, but perhaps your auntie was there, or your great grandmother, or you have a family tradition. Perhaps you live in the street. Perhaps you've been on a walk, perhaps you've got a theory of your own. What we're doing tonight, I've invited uh, four of the leading ripperologists, which is a coin turned by Colin Wilson, the great Colin Wilson, prolific writer, of course, who wrote The Outsider when he was 23, one of the seminal books of the 60s. Um, and he coined the term ripperologist. I've got four of them in the studio. And as soon as they arrive from the pub, uh, then we shall have them talking very, very sensibly. And if I can sort of brush away the fumes, then we shall find out from them. Um, how did this all come about? Well, it was interesting because um, I have to tell you that uh, Jack the Ripper is, is one of my subjects. Oh, my word. They're walking in even as I speak. There's Andy Ailith, there's Christopher Michael de Grazia, there's Paul Begg. I bet they've been in the pub. I guarantee you they've been in the pub. Now, there's a caller. There's a caller straight away. And I don't know what they want, Bob, but just put them through immediately. Take a seat wherever you want, gentlemen. These ripperologists are all the same. Are you sober? No. No? No, 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 not really. That's okay. We don't mind. Well, we've been waiting for you. been waiting for you. Um, I shall uh, be introducing... I'm going to get themselves to introduce... and tell you all about themselves, because I don't want to do that. I mean, what do I want to tell you all about it? But just to tell you, what happened was that uh, last week, I received a letter from Joan Fend. I think it's Fend, F-E-N-D-T, uh, in Abridge Road in Chigwell. And uh, she said, I heard you on Late Night Radio LBC when you mentioned that you were going to do a Jack the Ripper event next week. I have a granddaughter, Hannah, who since the age of about six, 
had a great interest in all things Ripper. In fact, when I told her I was born in the East End, very near the streets where it all happened, and in fact my engagement ring was purchased from a shop in Black Lion Yard, my grandma cred increased no end. Hannah's now 11 years old and still maintains a huge interest in the Ripper. She's read countless library books on the subject. I obtained the Patricia Cornwell book for her, and with her parents' permission, she and I happily spend time discussing the whole thing. As she is, of course, too young to listen to your late-night show, I wonder if there will be any literature, perhaps a programme, at your Ripper convention that you could send to her. In fact, that would come... Uh, the fact that it would come from you would be an immense bonus. If all the above is not too much bother for you, I would be so grateful. Kind regards, Joan. Well, I have to tell you that at Liverpool, I bought a rather grubby second-hand copy of the Diary of Jack the Ripper, which I thought um, you might be able to get your teeth into. And I'm going to get all the uh, Ripper experts around the table to sign this for you. Um, it's to Hannah, gentlemen. Okay. And I'm also going to send you a programme that shows you what we did uh, at Liverpool for three days. Well, we, we did. Well, I can't really remember most of it. Hammer legs in the air, of course. But, now, let's find out who we got round the table to begin with. If you want to, if you've got any ideas, theories, if you've read anything, if you want any question at all about Jack the Ripper, I promise you these guys can answer it. 0870 You can text us on 80023 or email comment at lbc.co. Dot UK. Now, I know you will possibly have lots of friends all around the country who are interested in these things. And the nice thing is that they can hear us if they go to their Sky channel and tune into 927. Channel 927 is LBC. So wherever they are in England or even Europe, even though it's illegal, you can listen to LBC. So uh, let's quickly go to Terry and Bethnal Green. Hello. Hi, Terry. How are you doing? Not too bad. How are you? Good. Were you there? Um, I lived there. Well, that's good there. enough for us. <laughs> Whereabouts did you live, or do you live? I lived on Wed. Uh, I lived literally, um, well, within ten yards of the first murder. Now, uh, ah, now there's a matter of controversy straight away. Yeah, the, wh I, which one did? Uh, you no, live don't, at, jo don't you come at these blooming Americans. They travel <laughs> over here. They travel <laughs> right across the Atlantic and think they can take over the program. <laughs> Absolutely, and I, t I tell you what, it, it's always uh, very funny for me to, to, to walk into um, American tourists as they're going around on Jack the Ripper tour, and, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I haven't said, no, 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 it's all wrong, it's all wrong, no, you've got the wrong guy. Um, <laughs> do you, no, do you the give first, them... The first, first body was found on the corner of Osborne Street and Wentworth Street in E1, no, sorry, E2, um, um, and that was the first, uh, uh, first murder. And what as was alleged, uh, as alleged to Jack the Ripper. Now, strangely enough, that particular point where the body was found is now currently a part of uh, a computer centre uh, owned by um, uh, the, uh, the Easy Easy Computer Centre. It's, it's, it's uh, a big computer centre now um, in Brick Lane. It's number one Brick Lane, complete uh, opposite the Archers Pub. That's where the first murder, or the first body, was found. Well, I tell you what, Terry, <coughs> I want you to, to listen to this, because there are, in uh, Ripper circles, the f <coughs> it's called the canonical, canonical Five. Yep. Right. Why it's called the Canonical Five, it's just one of those long words that we can say. Nobody knows what it means. Right. But we shall ask Paul Begg, what does canonical mean? Canon. 
the main body of, uh, of, of the murders, as are the Sherlock Holmes stories, the, the canon, and then the people who write uh, the parodies and the pastiches of Sherlock Holmes, uh, those aren't the canon. Now, do you agree that this is the site, what Terry's suggesting, of the first Ripper murder? Well, he's referring to the, the murder of uh, Emma Smith, uh, I think, and um, she's generally not regarded as being a Jack Ripper victim at all. She was attacked by uh, two or three men who rather brutally abused her, and uh, she died from the injuries. So she was just a common victim then? Yes, just, <coughs> yeah, just, just another just, one. Yeah. No, I, I completely disagree there. Oh. Uh, but um, I tell you I, what, you're, I, you're 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 a brave man to disagree with Paul Beck. <laughs> but he's regarded as one of the authorities. <laughs> you're not. You're not. You're not. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, disagree. I, I, I'm interested I, to know I, your reason. Right. I I, I, I am I'm very well read on on the Whitechapel murders, and I do know um, that there were several murders during the same period, and there was confusion on whether um, Jack the Ripper and uh, other uh, murders around the Mile End Road, etc., uh, uh, going back to towards Bow, were in fact connected. So there's, there, there is always, always has been a debate on whether Jack the Ripper committed all of them or or, or only uh, five or six. I am firmly of the belief that it was the five or six, because uh, there are very uh, uh, strong connections, similarities to them. And um, in regards to the first murder that was strongly linked to Jack the Ripper, the body was found on the junction of uh, Osborne Street and Wentworth Street, and that is that's fact. Terry, 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 you're making you're making an excellent point. Just one moment. This is wait for it. He's got so many names. Yeah, I don't know where to many. begin. All right, go on. <laughs> it's it's Christopher Michael de Grazia. He's American. Yes, well, we all have our problems, don't we? And he edits Ripper Notes. I'll be giving you all the details of how you can get hold of all these magazines and uh, websites during the programme. Um, but know, Christopher Michael does edit one of the great magazines uh, in America called Ripper Notes. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. You're such a sweet person. I love you. <laughs> 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 you're, you're, uh, Terry, you're making an excellent point. I, I, I think I, uh, what, I, what I would point out is, uh, as, as Paul said, what we've got is we've got the five murders, you know, uh, Nichols, Chapman, Stride, Eddowes, and Kelly, which we call the canonical murders. Yep. And just before that, of course, as someone who is as well-read yourself knows, uh, just earlier in the month before that, about the beginning of August, we had the murder of Martha Tabram. And just before that, as you were talking about, is the murder of Emma Smith. Now, the problem here, actually, I shouldn't say it's a problem, but what happened is you had first the murder of Emma Smith, who... As was um, as was Owen during the inquest, she wasn't attacked by a single man. She herself said that it was it, it was three people who uh, beat her and, uh, and and raped her and attacked her, and then she died in, in in London Hospital the next day from very very horrible injuries. And then later on, we had Martha Tabram, who was found on the the landing of George Yard buildings. Now, both of the now the the, the, the thing with these is that both of these are nasty murders and these are expected in the east end you expect murder in the east end you expect nastiness in the east end but what happened is that at the martha tavern was murdered at the beginning of the month and at the end of the month august 31st Polly nichols what we consider the first canonical victim of jack the ripper is killed you know throat slit and um, eviscerated 
And this is a murder that's, that, that's quite different. This, this is something that's... It's not murder for gain. It's not murder for revenge. It's just murder that seems to be for the sake of murder. And suddenly, the police see this, and they realize the two murders that are just before it, and they say, wait a minute, we've got somebody... There are three murders now. Hey, now the, the plot thickens, oh, right. Terry. I, I, the, I, I, Terry, Terry, please excuse me. Uh, stay on the line, please, Terry, because uh, I, we will listen to you. But right now, we need to find out what's happening on the roads. I can't believe I'm being so grown up. This is Jeremy Beadle, LBC 97.3-0870-9090-973. You can text us on 80023, email comment at lbc.co.uk, and you can telephone your friends all around the country and tell them that they can hear the show on Sky Channel 927. Before we go back to Terry, I should really, I should be very grown up and introduce the fact that we've got Paul Begg, who's the editor of the editor of the Ripperologist, which is the uh, prime British magazine uh, for Ripper Studies. He's also the author of numerous books on Jack the Ripper, especially the Jack, Jack the Ripper A to Z, which is the most useful of all the titles. It's an encyclopedia that contains every bit of information you could possibly hope to have about Jack the Ripper. We have Andy Aliff, international full frontal radio producer, actor, tour guide, uh, writer, and ripper expert. But what Andy's specialist field is in the social side of the ripper times, uh, the theatre, uh, what people were reading, what they were eating, what they were dressing, the social aspects of the ripper around that time. I would say is fair to say, Andy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I came to it. I mean. Ripperology is is a, is a very broad field, and and I don't want people to think that that people that are interested in the subjects are concentrate on the grisly murders of five Victorian prostitutes. We've all come to it from a different way, and I certainly came to it from an interest in the East End musicals of the time. And inevitably, at that period, you're going to be focused on 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 the events of um, you know the Autumn of Terror of 1888. Well, hopefully, we're going to get a bit of music later, but. Uh, <laughs> That's something else, a, a treat. And as I mentioned earlier, we have uh, Christopher Michael de Grazio, who's editor of the Ripper Notes, which shows the extraordinary extent of the brand. Jack the Ripper is a brand as big as Coca-Cola. It travels the world. It's probably the only branded murder uh, in the world. It's the one thing that you can say anywhere in the world, and people know what you're talking about, and writers use Jack the Ripper to instill fear into people around the world. And Ripper Notes is the American version of Ripperologist. Uh, splendid articles. An amazing amount of fresh material comes via the American enthusiasts. So, and I will be giving you all details how to concentrate, and uh, sorry, how to access all these various magazines and details. Just to go back to Terry a minute, uh, Andy, you made a point that possibly Terry was slightly wrong. Yeah, Terry, um, we were just considering the location of that, um, my thoughts are that in fact the uh, murder that you refer to is actually on the junction of uh, Wentworth Street and Brick Lane. That's it. But that's exactly the location I'm, I'm talking about. But the junction that you're talking about, one side is Osborne Street, which goes down to Whitechapel Street, and the other side at that same junction is Brick Lane. Yeah, um, but you described... So we're talking about the same place. Uh, well, we, we just about are. Uh, you described uh, this computer company that's now moved into, yeah. and it did yeah. actually occupy um, an older building on the site, but in yeah. fact it's, it is actually on the opposite corner to which you described. But you're, you're in exactly the right locale, um, but it's, 
it, it's things like this, it, you know, people come in and yep. say it is this and that is that, and, and we really do need to kind of correct these right. geographic right. locations, and because otherwise... Yeah, 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 I'm sure. Uh, but uh, you're, yeah. you're absolutely right, yeah. yeah. It, it is. Can I just explain something to you? Please uh, do. I, I, I'm an ex-police uh, officer and, uh, and uh, an analyst, and uh, um, Jeremy would know what research and all that's about. And I, I, um, I actually researched um, when I was living in that particular area, although I'm just up the road, um, researched the area. And all the murders happened in, and if you, if you could put um, a rope around a, a, a pole and do a circle, they all happen in, 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 a, in an area virtually 200 yards. <clears throat> and um, well, I've seen um, uh, and read quite a lot about uh, uh, Jack the Ripper. No, 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 Terry, Terry, uh, you, you say you've been, 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 been researching. Um, how long have you, have you been doing this? I mean, when, when did you first start getting interested in that, in, in, in the whole case? About 20 years ago. Uh, did, have, you, have you walked around the areas? I mean, have you, uh, have you yes, taken I some know. photographs? Because, obviously, because the whole area has changed oh, yeah, so much, we'd love to see photographs of, oh, yeah. of, of, of how it's changed. And certainly, if you've I, got anything interesting, we'd certainly love I, to I, see I, it. I, I, live, I live there. I, I live there. I live down, just down the road. The, 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 the I point I think that the guys are trying to get to, Terry, is that if you've taken photographs over the years, um, I'm sure oh. that they will be thrilled to be able to oh, see them. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 can have lo I can give you loads of contacts of uh, photographs taken over the years. Oh, I mean, that's, I that's beautiful. Just one uh, second, Bob, can we make sure that everybody that rings in, and I can see we've got lots of callers coming in, <coughs> that uh, we keep their numbers uh, and so that we can give them to our experts and they can be accessed later because... Um, it will be of great use to Ripper researchers. Andy, you were going to make a point. Yeah, I mean, what, what Terry's saying, and um, uh, yeah, Jeremy may well have explained, we've just come back from a conference in Liverpool to discuss, in, in general terms, the whole of the Ripper thing. And, and you make a point about saying that the murders, in, in your opinion, happened within a, a 200 yard area. Well, it, I, I, I beg to, to say that it's a little bit bigger than that, but yeah, uh, I'll, I'll make the point that one of the uh, guests that we had um, at the conference was Professor David Cantor, who is this uh, country's leading authority on criminal profiling, and uh, gave a very informative talk um, of how you actually profile an area um, using the knowledge we, we actually know more now than they actually did in 1888 so i suggest your um, no, you uh, know, uh, with, with the greatest respect can i can i just finish what i was, I was mm, please trying do. to say all right um it, having read everything that's uh, been written i mean there's been some diabolical things written but there's been some very very um uh, authoritative um, writings and quite plausible ones but the one the one person that hasn't featured and it's only been mentioned once in one book recently, um, was Mary Kelly's um, boyfriend. Yes, Joseph Barnett. Barnett. And Barnett is definitely a key figure in this. And um, uh, he, he was at Smithfield Market, got the sack. Uh, Mary went back on the game. He got upset about her being back on the game. Barney, Barney, blah. And then you've always got, always got, at the end of the day, how on earth did that person, whoever Jack the Ripper was, get into her house? I know there's a broken window, but there was no entry and no exit. You're suggesting it was a locked room mystery? Well, there was, where was the key? 
Well, there was no key. However, just going over exactly. to the book that you're referring to, I, I suspect is Bruce Paley's book, is it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it, so it, it really does open it up. And, and, and um, so it was a local guy, somebody who knew the street, somebody that knew her personally. And, all, and also, on top of that, um, he knew all the other victims. Well, there's a, there's a, uh, a debate going on at the moment on, on an internet site called Casebook Jack the Ripper. And there are two Australians who are writing a book uh, about the case which... Uh, Postulates that Joseph Barnett was the uh, was the Ripper, and at the moment they're having a, a big argument with various other people, not an argument, but discussion uh, on the internet about that very very suspect. How can yes. Terry access that? What is the address? Oh gosh, uh, um, it, it, it's W uh, Terry. Are you there? Yes, uh, you, you want to write this down? It's, I am absolutely fascinated with this subject. I really am. Uh, <laughs> we love to, We love to hear that, Terry. What you want to do is you want to access www Casebook, C-A-S-E-B-O-O-K, one word, dot O-R-G. And that will take you right to the main page of a, a site called Casebook Jack the Ripper. It was founded by an American named Stephen Ryder, and it literally is the world's greatest for Jack the Ripper. Once you get there, you find everything that, there is, that is worth knowing on you'll, Jack the you'll Ripper. Be reading, you'll be reading for years. <laughs> well, I, I enjoy it. I, I yeah. like it. Terry, I, I, been... I have a feeling that... Um, but it was it was Kelly's boyfriend. And well, I have to say, friend. for what it's worth, Terry, that uh, that was my original suspect. Um, but I've actually changed my mind, and that's the wonderful thing about the free debate and all the new fresh information. Well, One has to be flexible you in your thinking. But uh, Terry, it's wonderful that you opened it. A quick word from Andy. Yeah, Terry. Um, just very quickly, we've we've we mentioned that uh, you you've got these these. If you have photos, this is actually to no, speak I, to I, the I, guys I... afterwards. But anyone else that's listening, can we also encourage uh, people? Because we're equally, you know, this is building and building and building. We want to build a picture at a time. Uh, we will okay, be. I, 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 I'll be putting out the address a little later, Terry. Okay. Stay listening. Can I, can I send it to you, rather than... Uh, you can send it to me if you trust me more than these ripper... Yep. Well, uh, uh, you know what they're like. Terry, <laughs> excuse me, send it to me via uh, LBC. Uh, this is Jeremy Beadle, LBC 97.3. We're discussing Jack the Ripper for as long as you want to be with us. And I hope it's going to be for the whole three hours. LBC 97.3. Call Jeremy Beadle now. 0870-9090-973. That's the number. You can text us on 80023 or email us on comment at lbc.co.uk. We've now been joined by Paul Feldman. Paul Feldman was the man who put his money where his faith was. He believed in the Ripper diary. The diary, uh, is it real? Is it fake? Well, there's been so much research gone into it, which sparked off an enormous amount of uh, extra stuff, and we know so much more about the murders because of the research into the diary. Um, the diary of James Maybrick, which uh, the Sunday Times promptly announced was a fake, and they've been busy trying to re-establish that it wasn't a fake ever since. And you spent a lot of money in that, Paul. Certainly did. <laughs> uh, a serious amount of money. Yeah, it was serious. It was too serious. I mean, how many figures are we looking at? Uh, we're talking about six figures. Six figures, and a lot of them, uh, into researching the Maybrick Diary, and we will be talking about that. But let's just bring in a, a call here. We've got Paul in Epsom. Evening. Evening, Jeremy. Good evening, Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. You well? Well, I'm well, thank you. What's your basic interest in Jack Ripper? Just curious, because it, it, it is as, it, one of those fascinating things which... Um, 
I guess we'll run and run and run and run um, until maybe we'll never know who really. I'm, I'm not by any stretch an expert. I've just dipped in and out of you know various publications, Jeremy. Fine. Um, what I was curious about was: it, it, is there any consensus um, that whoever Jack the Ripper was was either surgically skilled? or qualified, or at least had a better than average knowledge of the human body. I say that because of the, not to sound too macabre, but the way some of the victims were dissected. Is that just a coincidence, or is, is there a consensus that maybe the person did have uh, some knowledge of uh, uh, better than average of, of, of surgery or of that kind of thing? Okay, good question, because it's one of the, uh, the great things about Jack the Ripper, is he must have had surgical anatomical knowledge. Well, gentlemen, did he? I think. Um, Paul Beg. I think that uh, it, it, that's a difficult question to actually answer. A lot of the the doctors at the time, their opinion was divided. Uh, I think probably one would have to say that he had anatomical knowledge. He knew what he was doing. He knew what organs he was going for. Um, although there are some ripper writers who would disagree with that. They rather crudely put it that he just sort of ripped. Yeah open and, and took whatever came to hand but some of the doctors at the time were of the opinion that uh, they would not have been able to perform that kind of uh, of mutilation in those conditions and and with uh, the threat of discovery hanging over their heads uh, in the time that they, they were obviously mm. uh, performed in you you also um andy ailey you, you also have to look at who and what you consider anatomical knowledge to be mm because uh, there's a theory that it was uh, a ritual Jewish slaughterman. Um, a slaughterman in general, and, they were the, and the area was full of slaughtermen, they would have known in general where to locate the organs. Um, but you've got to look at the difficulty and under the conditions in which uh, organs were extracted. We're, we're talking, you know, nighttime, dark, um, <coughs> slashing around with no particular light. Um, the medical opinion was shared at the time uh, I think it was Dr. Bond um, who said that they thought that uh, the Ripper or the perpetrator of those murders did have anatomical knowledge yet another coroner that was called in which was um, well actually what we're looking at Paul uh, what we see as the, uh, as the Ripper's anatomical skill really comes from two doctors and I'll, I'll tell you who they are the first one was Dr. Uh, Baxter Phillips who uh, attended on Annie Chapman, the murder of Annie Chapman, and basically what he said was that her organs were taken away with, in the famous phrase, one sweep of the knife. Now that's him. The second doctor was a doctor named, uh, uh, and my mind's just gone completely blank, uh, the, the, no, no, the uh, Edo's doctor, the uh, Edo's doctor, uh, Dr. George um, Baxter Phillips. Baxter yeah. Phillips. No, no, I no, only said that, Phillips, didn't I? <laughs> so, no, Phillips was Chapman, the, and the doctor who did it as well, whoever he was, it'll come to me in a minute because I'm a silly American, and there you are. Sorry, you've only got four experts. Well, supposed, there you are. Ex supposed experts sitting but around the table. as we know, one of Edo's kidneys was removed, and, and the doctor said that the kidney is a very difficult organ to remove, mm. and mm. unless you know where it is, you're not going to know where to find it. And those two comments are basically where we think that the Ripper had anatomical knowledge so basically what you've got to do is you've got to think you have to decide for yourself one of two things all right the ripper knew what he was going after he knew he was going after the pelvic organs in chapman's case or the kidney in edo's case in which case he knew what he was looking at and he went for it or 
that everything that he did, he just did with blind chance and simply pulled it out. And I will say, before I turn it over to my much more esteemed colleagues, you must, must remember, whenever you read in the newspapers, you have to remember the newspapers would never print everything that a pathologist would say because you have to, you have to be careful of uh, yes. what the people want to know. Yes. Ah, Dr. Gordon Brown, Jeremy tells me. That's the, uh, that's the Eddowes doctor, Dr. Gordon Brown. And also, remember what we now think of as pathology, as, pa as pathological science. You'll see it on television all the time. It was in its absolute infancy mm -hmm. in 1888. The doctors, you, you, you could put, and I've done it myself because I work in the medical field, you could put one of these doctors' medical reports in front of a modern pathologist, and he'll laugh at it. He'll think it's, he'll, he'll say that not even the first-year medical student could possibly get away with it. Mm. Let's go over to Paul Feldman, because <coughs> Paul Feldman, uh, who's firmly convinced that uh, James Maybrick uh, was the ripper. James Maybrick, for your reference, was a Liverpool cotton merchant who was poisoned by his wife, Florence, supposedly poisoned by his wife. Uh, he was an arsenic addict, and he came down to London and uh, was bumping off the various prostitutes. But would he have had any anatomical knowledge? Yeah, he certainly had a good education. And I think that anyone with a decent education would know where the organs are. I mean, clearly, from what we've just heard, there's no consensus of opinion. Um, there wasn't 115 years ago, is it now? And there isn't now. Okay. Let's go to Christine. In the, is that all right, Paul? I hope it was, anyway. <laughs> uh, sorry, we lost Paul then. Go, let's go to Christine in Paddington, who dialed 0870 Christine. Uh, good evening. Good, good evening, Jeremy. Good evening to all your... Ah, now, Christine, uh, you were on last night, and you were desperate to ask this question about Jack the Ripper, and I said, no. No, not tonight. Wait till tomorrow, you... So what's your question? My Paul? question is, do your experts believe that the Ripper would have been caught if he'd have murdered a respectable woman? Ooh. Mm. Here we come into modern politics now. <laughs> we'll give this to Paul. Oh, um, no, I don't. I, I think part of the, uh, the, the Ripper not getting caught was due to the area that he committed the crimes in, which uh, was a warren of alleys. Uh, and I think uh, getting getting away was probably relatively easy. Uh, so I don't think it would have made a difference whether it was uh, a respectable person or not, respectable woman or not. No. Oh, Christine, and you know, uh, Christine, stay on the line. Can we get? Can we talk to Josephine? Okay, we've got a fantastic call coming in here, Christine. You're going to love this call. Um, but first of all, what we've got to do is we're going to. I, ca I can't believe we're going to have to break for the travel. I mean. You know, we are right in the middle of discussing Jack the Ripper, and we're going to go to travel. <laughs> but it's very important to all our listeners who are on the road who need to know these things. But uh, it's interesting what Christine does say, because what she's suggesting is the fact that they didn't really care. Had it been a middle-class or upper-class woman, the police would have put a lot more time and effort into capturing her. But Paul's point there is it, it, it's really the location... Uh, and the time it was would have been very very difficult uh, to have caught the caught the killer in the East End at the time. Let's hear about the travel. And this is Jeremy Beadle on 0870 uh, Christine, listen to this. We've got a fantastic call. I hope if I've understood this correctly. Uh, is that Josephine? Hello, Jeremy. Hi, Josephine. How are you? 
<laughs> Very nervous. Ah, uh, don't be nervous. You're among friends, I promise you. And I'm so excited that you've rung. First of all, can you explain to our listeners what your interest is in Jack the Ripper? Well, Catherine Eddowes was my great-great-grandmother. And fantastic. Annie Phillips was my great-grandmother. Gosh. Now, this she is really... Uh, you know, is, does this, has this taken a lot of courage for you to ring in? It certainly has. I'm shaking. <laughs> well, don't, don't be. Because have you sort of lived with this and has it always worried you? Has it been a concern? Tell me, I only knew about this. I'll tell you exactly when I knew about it. Mm. On the 22nd of October 2002, I had a letter from Neil Sheldon. Yeah. I think you've known Neil. Yes, yes we did, did yes. Um, he said he was a researcher and a writer. Very, very suspicious about it all. I never knew what he was going to come out with. He told me who my great-great-grandmother was. Oh, no, he never. No, he just told me my parents' names and my great-grandmother's name, Phillips. And I could only go back as far as there. And he said he had um, some information, uh, historical information, uh, about my great-great-grandmother uh, through no fault of her own. Um, you know, that she came to the fore in history through something that had happened. And um, I'm trying to get this in. I realise, I, you know, I do understand when people first come on to a, a radio or television program, they're terribly nervous. So, and just while you collect your thoughts, uh, let's just put Catherine Eddowes in context for our listener. Um, Paul. Oh, let's go to Christopher. Christopher. Okay, well, um, Catherine Eddowes, again, if we're going to do the uh, canonical thing, Catherine Eddowes is what we call the fourth canonical victim of Jack the Ripper. And on the evening of uh, September 30th, 1888, she was, unfortunately, she was murdered by Jack the Ripper in a small place called... Mitre Square, which was in the city of London, the city of London itself. And what we know about Catherine Eddowes, uh, personally, myself, I've, I've always rather liked her. Because everyone who knows her has always said this, in, in, when you look at contemporary records, they've always said the same thing, that she was a very sweet and she was a very happy person, and she was always singing, she was always happy, and she was in a relationship, uh, she wasn't married to him, but she was in a relationship with a fellow named John Kelly, and everyone testified that he never beat her, they never had an argument, they were very, very sweet. And she was someone who just was a very happy, very nice person. And of course, none of the victims ever deserved to die the way they did, but she was, she, she was just a very, very, very sweet her person. Her children were by a man named Conway. Yes, Thomas, Thomas Conway, Conway was her first husband, and in fact, Eddowes... Uh, to the end of her days, she had a pair of initials tattooed on her arm, T.C., yeah. which were the initials of uh, Thomas Conway, her first husband. Who was a member of the Royal Irish Regiment. Yes, in That's fact, right. we're not quite sure. He came from County Mayo. Yes, he was, uh, and Paul can correct me on this, but he might have been a, uh, a member of the uh, Irish, uh, the Fourth Irish Foot. I'm not quite sure. We're not, I'm not yeah. quite sure where uh, he was a member of. When you found out, yeah. uh, Josephine, 
that uh, your great-great-grandmother was a victim of Jack the Ripper. What, what did it make you feel? Very sad. Have you tried to explore the story more closely? Well, Paul's given me absolutely everything. Paul? He's um, been researching for 16 years. And whatever he had, he gave to me. Sorry, you just said Paul. Do you mean Paul on I Neil? mean Neil Sheldon. Oh, right. Neil, yes. I'm thinking of Paul Beck because I've got his book. My husband went out and bought his book. Ah, uh, well, you're a very smart woman. He's written three or Definite, four. The definitive history of oh. the, uh, Jack the Ripper. Excellent, I've got yes. that one. That's, that, that's the recent one. Yeah, well, that's more money in your pocket, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> well, <laughs> it is interesting, actually. This may give you some uh, comfort here, Josephine, because I know Andy, number one, um, apparently someone phoned LBC, Andy. Yeah, I, I mean, this is so great that you've actually phoned and given us this information, and, and Jeremy's given us a chance to, ha to have air time to say that, and we're actually looking for people that may have known about the case or recently known about the case and said, wait a minute, th this rings something, this rings true to family history, because we are trying to establish... <coughs> um, the present-day roots of these of these people and somebody mentioned to me over the weekend uh, when we we're in Liverpool that uh, in listening to LBC maybe last year that someone phoned in and said they were related to um, uh, John, McCarthy. John McCarthy who was the landlord of the room in which Mary Kelly uh, met her demise and we would be very very interested to re-establish contact with her because again in putting again and it is photographs because I, i'm a great believer in that actually pictures tell the story and pictures actually paint the history um so by, by phoning in with with the um edo's information um that you know we you, you cannot believe the that the electricity in the studio everyone going oh photograph of her tombstone you have a photograph of her tombstone and i imagine neil took that photograph She's buried in uh, Elford Cemetery in Essex. Do you, do you have any photographs within your own family of uh, generations, maybe maybe uh, weddings or uh, any kind of family occasions that go back into perhaps that reach the Victorian times? Because although people can't actually establish a person uh, within a picture, if you have a group picture, when when you get the uh, researchers and those that know, we you know we'd be very happy to look at those and perhaps establish it from there. It's um, so any uh, first of all, may I ask Josephine, would you object if uh, we kept your phone number and possibly talk to you later as Not well? Not at all. Oh, you're most generous. Just stay listening, Josephine, because I want to go to Paul Feldman because we were in Liverpool this weekend and, 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 and Paul was convinced that Jack the Ripper was James Maybrick um, and he has found numerous descendants and indeed one of the pivotal points on the provenance of the diary is whether or not uh, Anne Graham uh, is indeed descended from the Maybricks. From, no, not from the Maybricks, from James Maybrick's wife, Florence. Well, uh, I said the Maybricks. Forgive me, okay, well, I meant Mrs. Maybrick. Yeah, yeah. Fl Florence, Florence Maybrick um, went to prison uh, after James died. She was charged with his murder. She was the first American woman to be charged with murder in this country. Um, she went to prison. When she was released 15 years later in 1904, uh, she came out of prison. She went to... Uh, a convalescing place and that's where she used the name Graham Florence Graham 
interestingly enough, we found that the diary had come from a family where um, uh, the woman's name was Anne Graham. As things turned out, we believe that, uh, or I believe, that Anne Graham is a great-great-granddaughter of Florence Graham. This was a story told to me by Anne's father. Um, we also, and, and this was the reason that I, I differentiated earlier between James and Florence, is that we uncovered a family of illegitimate descendants of James um, in God Manchester, which is a small town near Peterborough in, in this country. And we uncovered a whole family whose names were changed um, when they were born. They weren't called Maybrick when they were born, but when they married, they all reverted to using the Maybrick name around about the 1930s. They all had this story, and it is remarkable that those who don't want to believe the diary don't want to speak to any of the descendants because they don't want to hear their stories. Disappointing. <laughs> it's, uh, but uh, I hope, Josephine, that um, it, it, knowing the family connection and maybe just the oral traditions of your family, um, we may be able to actually increase our knowledge uh, of Catherine Eddowes, and that'd be wonderful if we could talk to you. Yeah, sure. Josephine, you've been very brave and very, very generous, and we really, really appreciate it. It's been a wonderful call. Really got my heart going. <laughs> oh, stay listening it. because we intend to be there uh, tonight and talk about Jack the Ripper for the whole evening. Um, and we're particularly people interested in people who are relatives, descendants. If you've got any photos of the East End, we'd love to hear from you. This is Jeremy Beadle, LBC 97.3, and now it's time for the news. LBC 97.3. Call Jeremy Beadle now. 0870 9090 973. Would you go to bed with me? <laughs> yes, and we're talking about Jack the Ripper, but uh, I must remind you that tomorrow morning is a great show lined up with Nick Ferrari because he's got on Tony Martin. Tony Martin, a Norfolk farmer who hit the headlines when he was convicted of the murder of a teenage boy who tried to break into his isolated farmhouse. This will be his first ever radio interview, and he'll be taking your calls and answering your questions about what really happened that night. He'll be discussing his imprisonment and his campaign for justice. Don't miss Nick Ferrari tomorrow morning from 9. That's really, really great show. This is Jeremy Beadle, LBC 97.3, We're talking Jack the Ripper. We've got from America, uh, Michael Christopher DeGrazio, editor of Ripper Notes. We've got Paul Begg, editor of Ripperologist. We've got Andy Aliff, social historian of the Times of the Ripper. And Paul Begg, the man who researched and spent a vast fortune on the provenance of the Maybrick Diaries, the Jack the Ripper Diaries. Feldman. That's Paul Feldman. Paul, Paul Begg. They can't be talked so There can be, never be two Paul Beggs in one studio. No, that's true, but we have got Paul Feldman, the man who masterminded all the research behind the Maybrick Diaries, the Jack the Ripper Diaries. Um, 
But we'd like, we're going to go back now to Josephine. You may remember we were talking to her just before the news, and we've asked if we can go back to her because uh, Christopher Michael would like a, a word. Josephine, are you there? Yes. Oh, you asked. We, we really, really appreciate it. I do realise that it's quite a strain for you, mm. but we are on your side. I promise you. Uh, oh, hello, Joseph, Josephine. It's a great pleasure to talk to you. I hope you're well this evening. Well, no, no. Well, I thank, I thank you for calling us. I, I, I just got a question for you. Uh, my magazine, of course, it's the American magazine on this case. It's called Ripper Notes. Yes. And in our latest issue, we did an interview with uh, Neil Sheldon, whom I believe you, you've, you've got a letter from. I've got lots of letters from Neil. Uh, he's a very, very nice fellow. I, 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 I like him. Um, he's, he's very famous in our circles because he's discovered a photograph of the second Ripper victim, uh, Catherine, um, <coughs> Annie Chapman, when she was alive. That's right, yes. I've got that book with the photograph in. Ah, you do? Well, yes. excellent. Well, we're, we're always glad that you, that you buy the books. We're very, very pleased to hear it. Um, a question I have for you, and uh, if you'd be kind enough to answer it, I would appreciate it. Uh, in, our, in, in an interview that I did with him, uh, Neil had noted that um, there was a cousin who lived with Annie Phillips, who is still alive. Yes. But he says that he'd contacted that side of the family and uh, that they don't wish to contact him and that there's another cousin but that cousin doesn't know very much about the family right. history. And so I, I was just curious, and you'll, you'll have to forgive me for being a, a bit of an, uh, of an ignorant American, but I was just curious what part of the family you were from. I, I wondered if you were that, that part of the family that he'd spoken to that doesn't want to contact or, or, and if you could help me out, I would, I would certainly appreciate well, it. Uh, my great grandmother, who was Annie Phillips, mm -hmm. besides the other children, she had Ellen, and she had Catherine. That was my grandmother. Yes, of course. And she died of uh, tuberculosis when she was about thirty-five. Mm -hmm. Now, Kitty, who's alive now. And I think she's 90-something. Oh, good for her, um, good for her. She, she's the one who wants to know how Neil knew all this about our family. Well, uh, she, she was my mother's cousin. Uh, not my mother's cousin. Well, see, I get quite confused. <laughs> no, 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 that's quite all right. Well, what Wait happened? a minute. Granny Phillips had mm -hmm. Ellen and my grandmother. Okay. Um, my grandmother had my mother, mm -hmm. and my mother and Kitty, who's alive and is 90, they're cousins. I see, I see. Okay, I, th I think I understand that. I wish I could come round here and I could... <laughs> oh, I, 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 I wish you could too. We, we, we would certainly love to Josephine, see you. Josephine, what we'll do is that... Um, uh, uh, we will carry on with the with all the calls, yes. and we have your details. And with your permission, we would like to contact you. And sure. I promise you, we'll be very, very gentle with you. <laughs> and you are wonderful, and we really appreciate the call. We do indeed. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Um, thank you. Uh, it's fantastic. That's what radio can do. Is you.
it, but it's strange that when people don't want to believe, they, they don't listen to the oral tradition. When they do, they listen very carefully, and they don't question the sources either. Um, I found the oral tradition to be an enormous part of the research for my book, and a lot of what we were told Your by... Your book fa- being? Uh, the... Um, forgotten jack the ripper the final chapter it's on virgin it's available on virgin okay please plug all your books i will it's it's in its third print now and it's still available in the shop sir and that really discusses your hunt for the provenance proving that the diary as written by james maybrick and he was jack the ripper absolutely there is no doubt i have to say uh having read the book it reads like a thriller it absolutely reads like a thriller it's and what we're talking about is the detective work behind finding out is this diary a hoax is it a fake it's a brilliant brilliantly told story it's a great book i must say a good introduction as well Mm. and a a superb introduction (laughs) who wrote the introduction mr i think uh, well i may have done i should (laughs) yes i think it was colin wilson (laughs) (laughs) before we um uh, i'll tell you let's quickly go to peter in ilford peter Hi, Jeremy. Hi, gents. How are you? Hi, we're fine. fine. This is Peter Nilford. Um, I'm going to ask you your question because then we're going to have something um, which I hope you're all going to find very, very interesting. What's your question, Peter? Right. uh, About a year ago, I mean, I spoke to yourself a couple of days ago, uh, Peter, the chauffeur from Milford. Um, Just over a year ago, I had the pleasure of meeting and also driving the author Patricia Cornwall, um, the American author, who I believe is a retired judge as well. Now, obviously, Ashley's retired from the legal scene um, during one of her recent trips. Uh, uh, just to interrupt you, I'm not sure that she was a judge. No. No, so the, 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 Patricia Cornwell has no uh, <coughs> legal experience. She has a great deal of forensic experience, but uh, no legal experience. Right, okay, no problem. My apologies on that one. Quite but, right. But uh, basically, she was in London once she retired on a trip, and she bumped into some old friends of Scotland Yard who showed her the vaults of the unsolved cases. John Green. Yeah. Yes. And same as every one of us, uh, was absolutely mystified by Jack the Ripper scenario, and she started to investigate that. She brought over her own team of forensic experts from the states, from the uh, state of Virginia, etc., and they went and bought some paintings, etc. Now, I can't remember the artist's name, but according to... Uh, Patricia Walter Cornwell, Sickett. Hmm. Walter yeah. Sickett. Yeah, according to Patricia Cornwall, Walter Sickett um, was the Jack the Ripper, yeah. It's not a new theory, I hasten to add. Uh, right. She got an enormous amount of publicity because she's a very famous thriller writer. Right. Uh, an enormously wealthy uh, thriller writer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who spent a lot of money, as Paul Felvin has done, researching the Ripper. Yeah. Uh, and came up with a suspect which was already very, very well established by Gene Overton Fuller. Yeah. Uh, a, a chap called Walter Sickert. That's right. Um, I just wondered what your opinion was on that uh, with her evidence, because according to um, the guys that were hanging around with Patricia Cornwell at the time, nobody disputed the evidence she had. I mean, I just joined the program about half an hour ago, so I missed most of it, unfortunately, due to work. I just wondered what your opinion on her evidence was. Do you think... Okay, uh, well, let's go over to Paul Feldman. Well, the one thing that I couldn't believe uh, about... What I, what I heard about Patricia's book, I haven't read it. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll leave the detail up to um, my colleagues here. But I did find out that Walter Sickert's son, mm-hmm. Joseph, who is alive today... No, he's yeah. dead. Oh, he's, he's just, just died, died now. Just but during, during, her, um, during her research, she yeah. never took the time to go and see him. No, we did actually... We, we, we did ask her this on a programme, actually. Yeah. Um, Paul. 
Well, um, basically, I, I think Patricia Cornell, she, the paperback version of her book I received this morning uh, and is due to be published uh, next month. Mm -hmm. And that's updated, and she's got some new information in it. So I have to say that I'm not entirely sure whether she's uh, addressed some of the criticisms that people have had. I, I, I thought one of the but best moments in the program was when she, uh, one of the uh, members of the audience, who were all historians and Ripper enthusiasts, said to her, well, don't you think that any of uh, Sicker's descendants uh, might sue you for libel? And she announced... We spent a lot of time researching this, millions of dollars, and there are no descendants. Whereupon this gentleman announced, well, yes, indeed, there are two actually living. And she right. said, well, what's your authority for this? And he right. said, well, actually, I'm a forensic genealogist. Yeah. Uh, which was pretty stumping stuff, um, because she spent all these millions of dollars and clearly hadn't established the simplest thing, that there are descendants of Sickert still alive. Absolutely. Well, I'm uh, surprised yeah. that she never came across the fact that there's still descendants, because on one of the trips that we actually uh, drove her around, we actually took her up to the public records office on Kew and spent about a day and a half researching documentation. Well, I, 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 would, have to, I would have to say, uh, the, the case uh, against Patricia Cornwell, and, and, and there really is one, is quite a long and varied one. Certainly, Paul Begg has done a very good uh, deconstruction of it, but it, it's much too long to go into here. Yeah. Uh, I would suggest uh, uh, two things for you very, very quickly. I would suggest that you go to the website, www.casebook.org, and just call up the word Cornwell or the word Sickett, and that will bring you not only Patricia Cornwell's book, but the arguments against it. And that way right. you can judge for yourself whether what she's saying is true, Bill, or whether there's something against it. Or I would suggest uh, my own magazine, Ripper Notes, and you can reach me personally at rn.editor at verizon.net, and I'll be happy to forward you a copy of my magazine that talks about the issue and gives you the arguments against it. Uh -huh. we, will be, we will be plugging all the magazines. I'll be giving all the web addresses. <laughs> I just thought I'd, I'd get a no, hymn. No, 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 I promise you, I'm, 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 I'm completely corrupt and all about this. Okay. What I will say about her book, Peter, is it's yep. extremely well written. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I was just curious because with all the hype that was going on at the time, because I mean, she had a Learjet to, to flying to and fro. And oh, yes. Know. I mean, she's a very high profile. She created yeah. Scarpetti, didn't she? Yeah. Yes. Uh, was was her big thing. But, uh, however, it's very complex. But I have to say that um, the majority of people I've spoken to in Ripper Circles treat it very, very cautiously. Right. Uh, we shall be back in just a few minutes. This is Jeremy Beadle, 97.3, 0870909073. I'm with four of the most distinguished ripperologists who are talking amongst themselves when I'm talking. The fella is watching. Now, uh, thank you, little fella, just to keep you in order. Um, we're really looking for people who may have some family gossip, photographs, uh, incidents, theories even, any question you like about Jack the Ripper. Um, but we were talking just before about uh, Patricia Cornwall, uh, very quickly, Andy, you wanted to make a point. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's any any author, uh, and I'm I'm sitting amongst distinguished authors here, um, and Patricia Cole. I, I I genuinely believe that any book that comes out that that follows any particular theory on Jack the Ripper and the amount of research that goes into it. I mean, I'm sitting next to Paul Feldman and the amount that he did. Whether you believe it or not, 
and I'm a great believer in looking at the footnotes and then looking at the references because any new book that comes out any researcher of any worth will look at that and think oh that's where I'm going to take off that's that's where I'm going to pick up from and from that whether you believe what you're, you're reading but if you if you if you pick up on those sources other people will go off and do other work and it's only through like that that Neil Sheldon that we were talking about earlier um, has actually gone off and, and, and found what he's found. Okay, uh, Paul Begg. I was, literally, as usual, Andy Aliff has just managed to say everything that I was about to say. And said it much better than you'll ever do, let's be honest. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> well, uh, that's yeah. why he's getting married, you know. <laughs> I know. Andy's got to dash off, because he's got to write his wedding speech. He's getting married this weekend, yeah? Saturday. Yeah. Oh, oh he's nice. getting married in the morning. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, well, as you burst into song, we've got an amazing thing here. Um, Mary Kelly was the last victim of Jack the Ripper. She was the prettiest victim. She was the only victim murdered inside. She was also the most horribly mutilated of all the murders. She really was the, uh, the well, I won't go into details because it is seriously gruesome. However, she was heard singing a song. And what we've been able to do is to track down this song. The title of the song, Andy, to begin with. Is, uh... um, the, the, the song, um, the, the, in the newspaper reports of the time, when they were uh, doing the interviews of the last known moments of Mary Kelly, uh, two people had remembered um, hearing her across uh, Miller's Court singing a song which was only a violet I plucked from Mother's Grave. Um, was this a very popular song? Of the it day? was a popular Irish ballad at the time. Um, so she came from Ireland. She came from Ireland, so she would be interested in, in traditional Irish songs. And because that's the interest that I came to the Ripper, um, I went out and, and researched the song and eventually found the sheet music, um, which then became associated with the show that I was involved in, uh, which is a musical based on the social history of Jack the Ripper called Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, and we subsequently have recorded it. Um, the and lady, it is available on CD? It is available on CD. Um, details to follow. Okay, I'll let you get the details together. But now, this is the song that Jack the Ripper's last victim was singing on the night she was murdered. A sister of the abyss. Uh, no, that's definitely not the song that she was singing. Uh, uh, Andy, can you go in and just listen? Andy, can you just go in and find the correct track? Uh, international thing. Well, after all that, <laughs> you know, he's going to get married and big build-up. And then, go on, Andy, hurry up. We've got, we got millions of people out there waiting I'll to hear back. this song. Well, no, Let's go to Hugo in Kensal Green. Hello. Hi, Hugo. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Um... Yeah, I was interested on the Patricia Cornwall angle. Yeah. I, I saw the documentary on it, mm -hmm. which I thought was really well put together. I'm in the film business. And I was quite curious to find out that there's a neighbour of my parents who actually lives with Walter Sickett when she's a young girl. She's still alive. She's 98. I won't give her name out over the radio. So say, say this again. Uh, she lived with Walter Sickett um, at her aunt's in Bath. Um, she's 98 years old. So, that's, you know... If Walter Sickett was the murderer, then someone's still alive who, who knew Walter Sickett or met him. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. Can we have permission, Hugo, to contact you later to possibly follow this through? Uh, yes. We I certainly wouldn't reveal anything on air, but this is exactly the sort of uh, thing that we're interested in. What did you think of the uh, Cornwall theory? 
that it was water sick? Um, I thought that the, the, the painting that he did, there was a painting he did of a sort of a murderer that was lurking. And when I saw it, the chill just ran through me, and I've never experienced that seeing a painting before. Hmm. And um, I thought there was things about his writing that he wrote, um, Jack Ripper wrote lots of different um, types of writing as such. And one of her theories was that, you know, you needed to be an artist or, or a skilled draftsman to do all these different styles of writing. And I thought her, ca her case was quite convincing. I did actually get through to her agent as such, but um, with the possibility of introducing this woman to Patricia, but then uh, on the recommendation of my mother, she sort of said, Patricia's quite a fierce personality. And she doesn't, she doesn't get on with people who don't agree with her opinions as such. <laughs> <laughs> so I was it's funny you should say that because um, she was very forceful at the recording. Yes, a, a dominant character, I think. Um, any comments on uh, the paintings? Uh, I think I'm not. I'm not quite sure, but I wonder if perhaps um, the painting you're thinking of is is it, it, it's it's a fellow who's sitting on a bed next to a woman. Is that the painting that uh, that you looked at? Hugo? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's ah, the one. yes. Okay. What you're, uh, what you're thinking of is a, is a painting. It's actually in a, 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 a series that Sicko did, and they're called the Camden Town Murder Series, and that's a, um, well, what we all believe, and certainly uh, what Sicko has said. It's a very famous murder case, uh, I believe 1904, the murder of a prostitute named Emily Dimmock, and it took place in, in Camden Town, and her lover Robert Wood was tried for her murder, but uh, he got off. And Sickert, uh did these paint. Sicker did a series of paintings, and he titled them all "The Camden Town Murder." And it's, of course, it's Patricia Cornwell's uh, theory that these are really Jack the Ripper paintings, and he simply titled them "The Camden Town Murder" because if he painted them and called them Jack the Ripper's Murder, that that would get the police on his trail, and he didn't want to be. Uh, he didn't want to give the game away. Okay, uh, just for your reference, when they say, when they say the uh, Camden Town Murders, we're talking about uh, Mornington Crescent. Yes, yes, morning well to present. Game. <laughs> Thank you so much. Well. A radio game there. Yeah. I'd also just say here that uh, also Patricia Cornwell has the belief that all these letters that purported to have come from Jack the Ripper, uh, that they, they all actually came from the, the murderer. And for the most part, we tend to think that they came from uh, numerous hoaxes. And so, really, you didn't have to be a skilled draftsman. You just had to be an awful lot of people. Hugo, uh, thank you very much indeed for your call. And we would we would really appreciate it if you would allow us to uh, speak to you later yeah, there's one other interesting say. anecdote which is quite amusing was that this woman's mother once opened the door to Walter Sicker and fainted on the spot because apparently he had a red beard and um but there was something about him she just fainted instantly when she saw him well one of the descriptions of course they uh, described uh, Jack the Ripper as having a carroty having a, a, a carroty beard I, I, oh. I've actually Hugo I mean nothing to take away from it of course of course but I've actually heard this before and of course here I am sitting in the studio with a great Jeremy Beadle staring at me with his eyes and I can't bring all the details together um, but we do know that uh, when Sickert painted he did a, a, a sort of thing as, as, as artists often do he'd get himself in the mood so he'd wear a neckerchief or he'd put on a false beard and he'd want to get himself in the mood so that he could paint something yeah. and um, of course I can't bring to mind where I've heard this anecdote but I have heard it before so um, it's very interesting to hear you confirm that Hugo because I've I have heard, heard, this heard before. it. It's, it's not Gene Overton Fuller again is it? I don't believe it's Overton Fuller because I'm not entirely familiar with the book it might be either Rumbelow or Knight but I do know I have heard it before. Yes I've, I've 
definitely heard this story before. Uh, interestingly, the, as I say, the, the water sicket theory was first propounded by uh, this wonderful, wonderful woman who came to Liverpool. How old was she, Paul? Well, she's in her 80s. She's yes. certainly in her 80s. Mm. And she gave a performance. I was interviewing her uh, to a, a, a huge audience of really intense historians. And she, I asked her one question. And 45 minutes later, I said, thank you. <laughs> she was extraordinary. I tell you, she, she, she was the, the star of the show. It's the first time I've ever seen a spontaneous standing ovation. People just, just stood up and, and applauded. It was, it was remarkable. It really was. It was a, a great time. So, Hugo, thank you so much indeed. That, that is a fantastic call. Uh, this is Jeremy Beadle, okay. LBC 97.3, Andy, have we got the track lined up? Now, Mr. Andy Aliff, who was in a future, uh, a former life, uh, raised some distinction with the BBC, no less. <laughs> And he got that wrong. So, just to remind you, <laughs> the song is called Andy. Come on. Uh, it's called uh, Only a Violet I Plucked from Mother's Grave. Only a Violet I Plucked from Mother's Grave. This is the song that Mary Kelly, Jack the Ripper's last victim, the beautiful Mary Kelly, was singing on the night she was murdered. Would you go to bed with me? And that is the number if you want to 
Ask any question you like about Jack the Ripper. We've got four of the leading experts on Jack the Ripper in the studio. We've got Christopher Michael DeGrazio, the editor of the great American magazine Ripper Notes. We've got Paul Begg, uh, one of Britain's most distinguished general historians, but a Jack the Ripper expert, author of the A to Z of Jack the Ripper with Keith Skinner and Martin Fido, and also editor of The Ripperologist. I'm going to be giving you details and websites of where you can get all these magazines and all these Ripper things a little later. Andy Aliff, um, and Paul Feldman, who was the man behind the Maybrick Diary. When I say the man behind it, he was the man who researched it and <laughs> found it. Oh, you're confessing at last, yeah. are you, Paul? Yeah, we uh, I'm suddenly, for some reason, I'm getting an uh, echo in my ears here. But, Andy, that song that we heard there, uh, if anybody wants to get that yeah. disc... Uh, uh, just remind everyone, it's actually from a, a, a well-researched... Um, uh, I was just sitting talking to Paul Feldman earlier and went, my God, there's a musical about Jack the Ripper. In fact, there's there's several uh, musicals about Jack the Ripper. Uh, that particular track came from um, a show called Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper, which is um, researched and written by, in fact, two members of our club, David Taylor and Frog, Moody, uh, Frog Moody. What club is that? It's the Cloak and Dagger Club, and we meet in the East End again to uh, discuss and... and uh, so if anybody's interested, when when does the Cloak and Dagger Club meet? The Cloak and Dagger Club meets the first Saturday of every month, but every other month it has a main speaker that will come and talk about some aspect of the social history of East London or some and association, and it's held um, in the upstairs room of the City Darts uh, Pub in Commercial Street. And why is the, why is it held there? Uh, well, everything we try and do is associated with some venue that has a connection with Jack the Ripper and the City Darts is actually where um, Thomas Sadler uh, met up with um, Francis, Francis Coles, yeah. they say. It's also uh, a pub that uh, Leather Apron leather is apron. to have drunk in as well. Yeah, so again, it has, it's, it's nice to be in a pub with a meeting room that's associated with the story. Back to the CD, it's from the show called Yours Truly, Jack the Ripper. Um, and is available via Ripperologist magazine if you have your pens and papers ready. So if you want to get hold of this CD, or indeed if you want to find out about the Cloak and Dagger Club or any up-to-date research, then you should go to the Ripperologist. And here we have uh, Mr. Paul Begg, the editor, who will tell you where the Ripperologist resides. Well... Andy will read this out because he's got the piece of paper with the <laughs> precise details oh. on it. And, and, and I was giving you a chance to plug your own magazine. Well, oh, well. I, I will plug it happily, but just the, moment, the piece of paper, that the address is on the other side. But of the uh, I'll do the address. Um, I say the CD has got lots of tracks on there, again, associated with the social history of Jack the Ripper. Um, and all of this can be made available from P.O. Box 735, Maidstone, Kent, ME17... 1LF. JF, I've got here. Is it JF? You can't read, can well, you? Really? If it's in the magazine, then. In the magazine, it's 1JF. It's 1JF. Thank you, Paul. Then, um, then Andy Ailiff got that wrong as well. <laughs> Again. I like that I sit here and take the blame for everyone else. So, That's just to remind you, it's P.O. Box 735, Maidstone, Kent, ME171 JF. Or the if you want to go to the website, just go to, oh, the, the email, rather, is Ripperologist Magazine, all one word, lowercase. Ripperologist Magazine, with a Z, at yahoo, y-a-h-o-o, dot co, dot uk. That's the Ripperologist. 
Uh, do you have a website? We do, but it's uh, being redesigned at the moment, which is why I'm reluctant to, to give it out. Adam Wood is doing his masterful okay, stuff on it. It's, uh, even if you're just interested in general the history of around 1880 it's a fantastic magazine lots of wonderful wonderful articles i really do recommend it uh let's go to marianne in harrow oh hello Jer jeremy and hello to your colleagues there thank you a bit disappointed that martin fido isn't there well martin is in living in america <laughs> <laughs> now um just a few uh, comments now um the murders actually took place in a very short period of time, a few months, I believe. And um, early in, in 1889, Florence Maybrick took a lover. Now, she took that lover after the murders because the last murder was in November the 8th. 1888? Yeah. And she didn't start her affair with Rarely until... Uh, about three or four months afterwards. Just let me explain for those of mm. everybody listening. We're talking about Florence Maybrick. Florence Maybrick in 1889 uh, supposedly murdered by poison her husband James Maybrick. Uh, many years later a diary was discovered which was the diary of Jack the Ripper and subsequently proved by Paul Feldman to his satisfaction that it was ja uh, James Maybrick was Jack the Ripper. Uh, Paul is the expert on this. Um, has Marianne got the, the facts right so far? No, no. Um, she's a year out, basically. Um, Florence was certainly with um, Alfred Brearley uh, before the murder started. Oh. He was the catalyst for the murders. He was the reason that James Maybrick actually found out that Florence was having the affair with Alfred Brearley. Oh. And that's what um, put him into top gear. Now, can I just back... Uh, now, we're assuming... Uh, actually, I do believe Maybrick did it, as a matter of fact, because I have read the book. But um, the theory is, in a lot of the books, that, um, that uh, the murderer was a young man. Now, Maybrick was 50, and he was taking loads and loads of different stuff, like strychnine and arsenic, and he said... I, to his wife or something I take this arsenic because I find it strengthens me now assuming he was the murderer would this have given him that frenzy and that extraordinary strength that he needed to to, to, um, to murder the victims certainly from what we can understand from doctors today arsenic would have done just what James Maybrick was purported to have said it did um there's no question it would give you uh, um, an unreal feeling of strength and power and, and um, but no one really uses it today to the best of my knowledge so we can't really uh, know for sure but that is the opinion of most people that now, it, it would do exactly what Maybrick said it did do. Now my final question is um, when Florence Maybrick, she served 15 years in prison, and when she came out, she wrote a book. Now, is it possible for any um, Joe public to, to get a chance to read this book? And did she talk about um, what his behavior was like? Um, 
I don't know about show public, but Paul Begg certainly has a copy. Um, uh, I believe I have a photocopy somewhere in the garage. Um, I think what is strange about the book is that Florence Maybrick talks about everything but her husband. Um, she doesn't mention him at all. Uh, I don't believe he comes up in the book at all. Uh, there's no mention of him uh, or, or, or the relationship with him. Yeah. No, I just wondered if... if uh, I know that he gave her a black eye and stuff, and, um, and, and I just wonder, was he violent towards her? I, I must tell you a, a, a quick anecdote. On um, Saturday, uh, I went to visit Maybrick's house, Battlecrease House in Egberth in Liverpool, and the chaplain living there saw me and came out and invited me inside. So uh, I was given a, an exclusive tour of Maybrick's house, and it was uh, an extraordinary experience having read so much about Maybrick because, like you, Marianne, I subscribe to the theory that James Maybrick was indeed Jack the Ripper. I do believe in the diary. Yeah. And I believe that the book that you were originally referring to, and this may help people, if you want to know the full story behind the diary, is by Shirley Harrison. Yeah, I have actually read. Has there been a few books out? Um, I haven't read the Corn, <laughs> Patricia Corn one. Patricia Cornwall is, is, is one of the latest ones. Um, yeah. there, are, there are so many books at the moment. Uh, Paul well, Bates has written one. Well, I must, I must, I must say, if we're, if we're going to talk about the diary, uh, you really need to get a new book that's just come out. It's called The Ripper Diary, The Inside Story. And that's by Sutton Publishing. And the authors uh, are uh, Keith, Keith Skinner, uh, Caroline Morris, and Seth Linder. And basically what that is, is it doesn't set out to prove the diary or... What it is, is it takes all the events from the moment Mike Barrett discovered the diary until the present day. It's an excellent, excellent book. It's just come out, and it's well, well worth your time. Again, that's uh, The Ripper Diary, The Inside Story from Sutton Publishing. Indeed, and I agree with that. It is a, a, a wonderful read. Uh, but if you want... it. That doesn't really tell you much about the actual Maybrick case. That's no, about no. the diary mm. and the provenance of the diary. Whereas Shirley Harrison's book is much more about the case of James Maybrick Didn't and the Ripper. did James Maybrick have a brother as well? Michael Maybrick. He was a um, concert pianist or something? And you can come in here. Yeah, uh, he, he had a brother that uh, worked on the name of Stephen Adams. Oh. Um, uh, and he wrote various choral pieces, etc., of, of that time. Uh, I think he became mayor of the Isle of Wight. Yeah, and he was a very good friend of Florence. Yes, he was... Um, in fact, there is uh, about to happen uh, a major... Um, I'm, I'm not sure how much I can say about <laughs> this. Uh, but he is in the frame. Michael Maybrick, James Maybrick's brother, is about to be released... Um, uh, Am I allowed to talk about this? I'm not sure that you are. No. <laughs> but all I will tell you is that James Maybrick, uh, Michael Maybrick, James's brother, is about to be exposed as Jack the Ripper. Uh -huh. There are two other brothers. I've um, up a hornet's nest, haven't I? You certainly, certainly have. have. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I'm not allowed to say this. I'm, I'm, I do apologise to those people who are currently working on it. Very distinguished people too, I might add. Yeah. There um, were two other brothers, Thomas and Edwin Maybrick as well. Um, Michael Maybrick was younger than James. Uh, James was uh, quite jealous of him. Right. And Florence yeah. did, of course, write her own, her own book, which I think is the one that you're referring to, which is Florence Maybrick, My Story. Yeah. 
Yeah. Indeed, if anybody out there is interested, then the best uh, website to get hold of Ripper Books is very, very simple. It's www.ripperbooks.com. That's ripperbooks.com. All one word, lowercase, ripperbooks.com. Uh, there you'll see all the titles that are available. This is Jeremy Beadle, LBC 97.3. We're talking Jack the Ripper, 0870-9090-973. Um, and this is an interesting one. We've got Cathy in Havering. Cathy. Hello, Jeremy. Hi, nice to talk to you. And you too. You are now a star of stage, screen and Jack the Ripper. I'll send you a signed picture. <laughs> <laughs> good girl, good girl. What it is, Jeremy, is that my grandmother lived in the Stepney area and her arrived, but a friend of her older sister had a child that was very sick around the time of the Ripper murders in the London hospital. And she apparently had spent the day at the London hospital with her child until quite late in the evening and was hurrying home from the London hospital back to her home. And obviously people in the area were very scared because these things had been happening. And as she was hurrying along, a gentleman appeared and she called him a gentleman and said to her, what are you doing out this late? And she said, I've been at the London hospital, my child is sick and I'm now going home. He said, where do you live? And she told him. He said, I'll walk with you. Eventually, they got to her home, and as she was going, going in, he said, you know, I hope your child is okay, and you've been a very lucky woman tonight. Now go in. And she said, from the way he said it, not it was ominous, but they, they were all convinced that that night she had met the Ripper. Was there a description handed down? If there was, my grandmother didn't tell us that. I mean, this was a story that she told her children and they told us. And But it was a friend of a sister of hers who was older than she was. I mean, she would now be 100, but her sister would have been 125 or something like that. Right. And it was something that they, people in the area at the time were convinced that she had had a lucky escape that night. It sounds a chilling tale. Michael, you uh, you think you've heard this before? I, I, I think I have heard it before. I may have heard it in uh, Tom Collins' book, uh, which in America is called uh, Jack the Ripper or When London Walked in Terror. Uh, the wonderful thing about Tom Collins... No, no, here's Autumn. Ah, there Autumn. you are. Autumn of Terror. Uh, one of the wonderful things about Cullen is during the early 60s, he went right into the East End and he talked two people who'd been alive during 1888 and he gathered a lot of oral tradition the people who'd been alive and the stories that they'd heard and um and i do believe i i've i've heard this story i've i've heard the story that um uh this this very elegantly dressed fellow came out of the mist and and he walked and he saw this woman and he, he walked her he said well where are you going and she gave an address and he walked her he escorted her there and when he saw that she was an honest woman Mm. He just he just pulled back and and he said, "I see that you are an honest woman," and pulled back. And of course, that the the, uh, the inference is that it's Jack the Ripper. It's it's a beautiful beautiful story, and I love 
I love hearing it, and, and, and I do think I have heard it before, but I'm very glad that you called to... Uh, there is another thing, though, Jeremy. I mean, obviously, I didn't have any connection with the Ripper myself, but my first job when I left school was for a company in Aldgate called Keely and Tong. Oh, right. Ah. And I never knew... And so I went along to work in Mitre Square and didn't know anything about any murders by Jack the Ripper in Mitre Square at the time. It's only subsequently in later years that I've realised I worked in Mitre Square... And no, Killian no. Tong was in very old buildings. Do you happen to know where were they the same buildings? Yes, indeed. I mean, the bu buildings that you would have been working in would have been the, the self-same buildings that would, uh, or part of them that have been, uh, you'd have been looking down onto Mitre Square from. Well, nobody ever mentioned anything. No, I'm not, su I'm not surprised. <laughs> nobody who worked there ever said we're on the pre same premises where Jack the Ripper did a murder or... Had I known, I could have had a look round and <laughs> I might have discovered some new evidence. <laughs> There are quite a few people doing some investigation into Keely and Tong now because the, the company, as far as I'm aware, I don't think it exists as such anymore. It's, it's, it's been taken over and absorbed into, into other companies. What, what business was it? It's it Keely was, um, they, do you remember they used to import tea and the tea would mm. come into the docks at Liverpool and then it would be blended, etc. And Keely and Tong were really like, they did tea imports, they did groceries, they owned supermarkets or you know mainly groceries and supermarkets that's right. well that's what they were doing when i worked for them Indeed. so you have several handshakes away from jack the ripper there you go <laughs> <laughs> <Cassia>. <laughs> chilling thrilling tale thank you so much it's been lovely talking to you and you thank you for calling good night. Good, night. good night this is jeremy beadle lbc 97.3 we're going to go right through talking about jack the ripper i wasn't quite sure uh how popular this was going to be but look, but looking all these calls in um i think we're going to go on with it and i'm pleased we are let's go to ray in silvertown jeremy good evening good evening ray um it's fascinating listening to you talk about jack the ripper i've i've, I've I had a passing interest in it, but um, but but you've really whetted my appetite. Um, and I just wondered: are all the records of the investigation into the murder in the public domain, or are some of them still sub judice? I mean, I, I, I feel that I've read somewhere that not all the records have been released. If not, why? Um, Who should we go to first on this one? <laughs> What's well, Paul? Or Paul? Um, actually, I, I think it's fair to say that all the records uh, have been released and they have been available. Uh, they've been in the public domain for, for quite some time. Mm. Uh, we can mention um, Keith's Keith's book. Well, indeed, yes. Yeah. There, there's a there's a book um, which has been written by Keith Skinner and Stuart Evans, and it's called the Ultimate Jack the Ripper. Source, source book because it has a different title in the, in the states. Yes, it does. Uh, and that is uh, a compilation of uh, of all the, the the Home Office and the Scotland Yard papers, along with uh, some uh, newspaper reports that just flesh out the bits in between. Um, but there is a possibility, of course, that there are still files. Uh, because we know that a lot of files have gone missing over the years, and in some cases we have a rough idea of what they contained. So there's a possibility that somewhere lurking in the public record office misfiled into something else mm. is, is some of the files that uh, pertaining to the, uh, the Jack the Ripper case. So there's always the possibility that something is lurking out there. Well, it was and, very uh, recently that files were returned to Scotland Yard. Uh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, there were some, some documents were returned about uh, 15 years ago, actually, now. 
Um, what were they? Benefit of they well, those were the photographs of the victims in particular, and there were some other papers, but the main ones were the Dr. Bond uh, report about his examination of Mary Kelly, and those things have been missing. Uh, since we don't quite know when, but they 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 were recovered about 15 years ago. So there, there's the possible, as I say, the possibility of uh, of documents being out there. Do we have any idea who returned those documents? Uh, I don't. Um, well, but uh, I think uh, I think Scotland Yard has a, a fair idea. I, I, I know they tried to test the uh, the, yeah. the packaging for mm. fingerprints and. Well, there are, two, there are two different sets of documents. The photographs the came photographs, from one yeah, source, right. and then these other the, the envelope of, of other documents. Well, uh, it's my understanding that the, the envelope that had the photographs, uh, Scotland Yard's got a very, very good idea of where those came from, but out of deference to the family. Because, of course, uh, the person who returned them is dead, and out of deference to the family because it won't do any good to uh, pursue the family they've decided not to pursue it anymore um i know that, that they've they've done some tests on the envelope but of course so many people have handled the envelope that uh, even if you match up prints you're not going to get anywhere with it. i will tell you that it was postmarked croydon <gasps> and i will say that it was through my research that we first saw the missing pictures um, and i was told that i was a liar when i said they existed you um, certainly came in for tremendous flank ball. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, but I was delighted to prove people wrong on that one. Um, they they said there wasn't another picture of Mary Kelly, but there certainly was, and it was a very important one as well. Um, because it showed the... Uh, oh, no, it was the first one that showed the initials, wasn't it? it was the yes, first, the first yes, one that showed the initials, but the second one... What, what they say, what the initials are, please? The initials are FM. Uh, the initials of... James Maybrick's wife, Florence Maybrick. And where are they? They're on the wall uh, where he told us in the diary they were, by her body. The inference being that after slaughtering Mary Kelly, he dipped his finger or used something with a glass. No, I, but I, my personal belief is that he used Florence Maybrick's heart um, to put the initials on the wall. And Not Florence Maybrick. Uh, so Mary, I beg your pardon, Mary Kelly's... Uh, heart to put Florence Maybrick's initials on the wall. Um, that is why, um, at the at, at the outset, there was a uh, conundrum that there was a statement that they couldn't find the heart, that they didn't know where the heart was, and then later on they said they did in fact find all the organs. So was the Mary Kelly's heart found? Yes, it was. It was. There are because. That's one of the things that many people thought that the heart was missing. This is Jeremy Beadle, LBC, 97.3. We shall be going through the whole of the next hour talking about the one and only Jack the Ripper. LBC 97.3. Call Jeremy Beadle now. 0870 Would you go to bed? That's the, that's the call uh, to make if you want to discuss Jack the Ripper. Uh, I've got four of the leading ripperologists in the world. Christopher Michael de Crazio, Paul Begg, Andy Aliff, and Paul Feldman. Uh, and I'll tell you all about them as we go on. But we've already spent two hours and we haven't even touched them. We haven't even mentioned half the victims. We've only <laughs> mentioned a couple. However, let's go to John in Eltham, who has a theory on who the ripper is. John? Oh, hello, Jeremy, yes. Good evening. Hello, good evening. It's just that I've been listening to the programme. It's absolutely fascinating. Lovely to hear it gone into to such depth, depth without such 
sensationalism you, you normally get. It's just that my um, great uncle or great great uncle on my mother's side was um, Sir Evelyn Ruggles Bryce. Oh, really? And he, he, uh, he as you, you, you probably know, he. Well, I have to say, all everybody's face this up except for me. <laughs> oh, he was um, a parliamentary um, private secretary at the Home Office. And it was his job to liaise between Sir Charles Warren, the Commissioner, and the Home Secretary at the time. He was a sort of professional civil servant, one of those very grey men that sort of ran the empire, as it were, at the time. He was my um, great-great-grandmother's um, first husband. This, uh, uh, forgive me, John, because these guys know who he is. Who, uh, what, give me his name again. The Evelyn Ruggles Bryce. Bride? Bryce. Bryce. R-I-S-E. He was also a great cricketer playing for Cambridge, if I remember. Yes, he was one of the family as well. The stuff these guys know is frightening, <laughs> isn't it? It's frightening. Paul Begg. Yeah, he was, I was just going to say that he was uh, private secretary to four successive home secretaries, including Henry Matthews, who was the home secretary at the time of the uh, Ripper crimes. That's right, yes. Um, he, well... As you can gather, because of his um, background, um, he re let very little out at any time. But um, some stories, more about what he didn't say, more than rather what he did say, actually did uh, sort of um, come down into the family. Um story of um, Mr. Tumblety came up. Yeah. Mm. And it did, it always rather intrigued me that um, it should have been kept so very, very quiet. I mean, Ruggles Bryce obviously knew quite a lot. I mean, it was his job to provide, um, I, I did research this later, you understand. Uh, it was his job to um, sort of pass daily reports from Warren to the, the Home Secretary because um, they were so very fearful of what the effect was going to be within a very troubled area at a very difficult time. And you, John, riots earlier in um, Trafalgar Square. I'm sorry. First of all, before we continue with this, can I ask for your permission for our experts to contact you later? Yes, certainly, Bob. You're very generous, so we will take your number uh, and we will do all that. But let's carry on. Uh, it's interesting. Tumblety. Who'd like to talk about Tumblety? Or well, perhaps we've got our American cousin. Well, absolutely. Uh, so I'm supposed to talk about Tumblety. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it very, very brief. Tumblety is um, what you'd call a, a quack doctor. He, um, he, was a, he was the sort of fellow you'd go to him and you'd be very sick and you'd ask him to, to, to cure you and he'd give you some colored water. And he was go, a con man. Come on, he yeah, was a well, quack. Well, there you are. He's Don't be nice about him. No, all right, dead. all right. He, he was a he was a filthy quack. <laughs> May he rot. Um, <laughs> basically, the reason we know about Tumblety, I mean, the reason we know about Tumblety was uh, a researcher uh, named Stuart Evans came into possession of a number of Ripper papers, among which was a letter from uh, ex chief inspector, I believe, uh, Little Child. Is Little Child, yes. Was that his? What was that his rank? <clears throat> well, and and he had said that. One of the people that he had heard of as a suspect, and he thought was a likely suspect, was a Dr. T. And after some research, uh, Stuart Evans discovered that this was uh, Francis Tumblety. Uh, the reason that Tumblety is a suspect, uh, for those who are listening, is that he can be placed in Whitechapel at the time of the murders.
And as he, you know, before he came, the, there were no murders before he came to Whitechapel. When he left Whitechapel, the murders stopped, and Scotland Yard sent police after him. Now, there are, there's a lot of arguments about whether they were just following him out of pure pique or whether there was something really, really against him. Um, the best case uh, about Tumblety is in actually in Stuart Evans' book, and it's called... Actually, I know what it's called in America. I don't know what it's called over here. It's called either The Lodger or it's called Jack the Ripper, First American Serial Killer. And the author's... Uh, the author is Stuart P. Evans and... Paul Gainey. Paul Gainey. It's a very, very it's good called, book. It's called The Lodger. Is it called The Lodger over here? Yeah. But Sub it, but it gives, subtitled. But it gives you everything you want to know about Tumble Tea. Can, can, can I... Yeah, I would... Uh, can, can I just, just add there, because it's important at the time, that, that, that two or three points. Number one, James Maybrick um, spent several years in America, could well have also picked up an accent. Um... Uh, number two, we can also place James Maybrick in Whitechapel at the time of the murders. And we also know that when James Maybrick left Whitechapel, the murders also ceased. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I would never disagree with my esteemed colleague, Paul Feldman. I, I would only say that the difference, the difference between Maybrick and Tumblety is simply that Tumblety is, is listed by someone who was on the ground as a contemporary suspect, whereas... Maybrick was not. That's really the, the, the only difference that I would make. The objection, can I, uh, can I, I beg one? I was James. just going to say that the objection to, to Tumblety in this instance, of course, is that it wasn't particularly kept a secret. Uh, it, it was in the press in this country, but it was uh, widely publicised mm. in America. Yeah, I, I, mean, I was going to say, Jeremy has very kindly said we're sitting around as the world experts and that the, the, the theory on <laughs> Tumblety has only uh, come to light in, in recent years. Yeah. We all missed it. Um, well, uh, some of us it was, well, it's some a compelling read. We're not all poor big, are we? Um, just no. a minute, John. Just a minute, John. Let me establish that the lodger by Stuart Evans and Paul Gainey is a compelling story. It certainly, is. and uh, it really is very, very convincing. It takes a lot of unconvincing yeah. to actually dismiss the tumble to you. But, but again, not widely put reported in the British press. I mean, it was just checking through the American press where it was reported. You know, with an amazing well, amount it's of extraordinary. I have got uh, uh, a substantial number of books on quacks and con men and the old fakers and things. And not one of those books contains a reference to tumble tea. Now, I, except when you start looking at all the research that Stuart Evans and Paul Gainey did, which was a remarkable piece of research, he's everywhere. He's absolutely everywhere in uh, every newspaper. In fact, uh, 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 chap has been uh, contributing to trawling newspaper uh, records in America and has come up with uh, an awful lot more about Tumblety as well. Chris Scott, he's been doing some remarkable work, uh, which has been coming up on the net. And oh, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, just I mean, to he, tell you, if you, uh, I will be giving out websites and all the bits and pieces and telling you about the Ripperologists and Ripper Notes, where you can find out all this information. This is Jeremy Beadle, LBC 97.3 We'll be talking to John again in just a moment. This is Jeremy Beadle, LBC 97.3. Uh, we're talking Jack the Ripper, 0870 And now, for the definitive answer, Mr. Steve Allen, who was Jack the Ripper? Not a clue. Member of the royal family. Oh! <laughs> or has that one always been thrown out? Well, let's yeah. go round the table. Been thrown well, out? We haven't got to that one yet. Yes, oh, we're not. <laughs> oh, right. Well, started a new one. Look at this. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Only got foot, was it not? <laughs> <laughs>
pretty damn not. Does any, I mean, you don't, can't believe we're still talking about it all these years later. But are you interested in it? Oh, yeah, I love Jack the Good story. Yeah, a friend of mine does does the walks on Jack the Ripper. Who's that? You know, Diane Bursting. She does Jack the Ripper walks and things like that. She likes that kind of thing. And that, Americans like it. Well, we have uh, Don Rumbelow as uh, one of our star members, of course, and he probably does the definitive Jack the Ripper walk. If you want to know... Is there anything left, actually, in London where, where Jack the Ripper operated? Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, very yeah, much so. Quite a lot. I've seen the photos. Yeah, though, no, on a good, a good guide yeah. can show you the actual spots. Really? Yeah, and there's still quite a few artifacts around that you can see so and if you want to find out just look in any uh, copy of time out it covers all mm. the ripper walks mr allen what's on the show tonight okay right well i shall have to listen to the rest of your program now so i might be able to fill up the next 15 minutes of my program <laughs> to find out who, who you lot all think it is because i'm sure they're all going to disagree uh patrick mercer who's the shadow minister for homeland security will join us he's been sitting in on the uh on the debates going on at the moment really the uh uh, demise of Dr. Kelly. So we'll talk about that. Gary Hales is our friendly licensed taxi driver. Uh, he'll be in if he doesn't have a fare. Three cheers for London Black Cab drivers, I say. Hip hip. Hooray! Hooray! Thank you. That's enough. Uh, Steve Hargrave has got the gig guy because it's um, the Rolling Stones this weekend. It's uh, Reading Festival, Leeds Festival. There's a great opportunity for the great unwashed to go and sit in fields and stay well away from me. <laughs> uh, Diane Burstein, who is our blue badge guide, will conclude her walk around Bow. We're looking at Bow uh, all this week. Greg Burns is the news director of 2UE in Sydney. Best of yesterday's programmes in LBC. And uh, we've got the papers and a little quiz. Fantastic. What a show. What a star. I'm not going to take up any more because you've got a Ladies very good... Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Steve oh, Allen. Just like the old days. Great, <laughs> 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 good to see it. We we got so much in here, Steve. Normally you'd You've see very my chat guess. for about ten minutes, but uh, we're going. Can we go back to John in Elton? Hello, John. Are you still there? Yes, I am. Thank you for your patience. No, because no. You, 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 fascinating. It, it is interesting that you said that the um, that your that the family tradition said that your great 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 uncle is it? Yes. Um, he said that. The, uh, we didn't want to compromise our relationships with a foreign power. It could, of course, be uh, another foreign power because one of uh, Mr. Begg's suspects. Well, indeed, uh, it's uh, Kosminski was a was a suspect that was named by Sir Melville McNaughton and is believed to be the the man who was uh, named as being Jack the Ripper by Sir Robert Anderson, who was the head of the CIA at the time. I wondered about that myself, but my own particular opinion is that. Um, at that particular time, Russia was more one of our enemies. Um, we were very frightened about them um, coming over the border and invading India, taking that away from us. Um, we were overestimating their military importance. And I think it was believed that um, any trouble with Russia would be more towards stirring up people into support of the government more than against it. Now, what's really sort of always made me wonder so much about um, the Tumblety connection is it's always struck me that whoever actually did these murders must have been someone who was able to blend in very well with the people of Whitechapel at the time. Had it been anyone perhaps like Maybrick or anyone of an English middle-class background, they would have stood out in that particular area like a sore thumb because um, the people must have known each other extremely well. It would have been a, quite a small community, uh, I would have thought, to some extent. Um, those of that particular social level would have known each other, one from another. And somebody who was, um, as it were, sort of slumming it 
or going around as they think Dr. Gull did in, in the coach, the, to quote a, a, a recent rather ghastly film, Johnny Depp, <laughs> uh, I think they would have stood out like the proverbial sore thumb. Let me uh, ask uh, Paul Feldman about that. Would Maybrick have stuck out like a sore thumb? Oh, I don't think so. I think, um, I think he dressed down, as many did when they went to the East End, they dressed down, they dressed to fit in the, the idea of a middle-class uh, cotton merchant slumming down, because the idea of a, uh, uh, a Victorian East End prostitute being anything other than the most hideous, uh, ugly, smelly, VD-ridden, uh, undernourished, unattractive... Uh, 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 I would have thought he could have done better, let me say that. Mm. Exactly. He would uh, certainly have been... Uh, I do believe that Tumblety did have some connection either with vaudeville or circus in his earlier years. And plus, having a foreign accent, I mean, as, as um, Oscar Wilde said, one Englishman's only got to open his what open his mouth for another Englishman to despise him. So, <laughs> one of the, the ladies of the night that um, they would have been preying on would have known someone to be of sort of middle class origins as soon as he opened his mouth and tried to sort of procure her. But they would have been, they would have been very attractive to the prostitutes because they would have thought they would have earned an extra sixpence. I Absolutely. think they would have been very suspicious. Why are they dressing down in that particular wing when as we we're told there was something like um, 100,000 active prostitutes in the London area mm. sort of in that particular time it, it would have been no great trouble for someone from the middle class um, background to have picked up someone for that particular need they wouldn't have had to go to um, the Whitechapel area unless of course they went there with the sole purpose of ripping victims John it's been fascinating talking to you no my pleasure thank and you very much thank you so much um what, we we will be. There was one thing on my on, on my the other side of my family too. Actually, I'll, I'll oh yes, just bring it up as a, a little. Um, my great great aunt um, was born in that particular area in the early 1880s. We have some books of hers with the actual um, date when she attended um, um, a temperance primary school there in 1888, and she did used to say stories that um, she does remember being woken up in her night, in her bed, at night, one particular time, in 1888, hearing police whistles, nurse, that it was actually uh, the police because the uh, ripper had struck again. I don't know whether it's true or not, but it always struck... Sort of we are going to do a book called If It's Not True, It Should Be. <laughs> um, what we will be doing, John, is that we will, uh, with your permission, be contacting you later. Yes, sir. A fantastic yes, call. Thank you very much indeed, John. This is Jeremy Beadle, LBC 97.3-0870-9090973. Text us on 80023. Email us on comment at lbc.co.uk. You can also get us on the Sky Channel's 927. Let's go to John in Greenwich. Oh, hello there. Hi, John. Hello, Jeremy, and all there. I've just, um, uh, oh, a couple of months ago, I, was, I can't remember if it was in the local paper, reading about Elizabeth Stride, one of Jack the Ripper's victims. Right. Apparently. Um, and, uh, I've just wondered if that was, you know, you read so many stories about the victims and that, but she's supposed to have lost her family I um, mean, the Princess Alice tra uh, tragedy, um, her husband and four children or something, and uh, this um, made her go to drink, and um, I was just wondering if that story was true. Well, it's an interesting one, because there's been a lot of research into this. First of all, let's, go, let's discuss the tragedy. 
Okay, uh, um, um, what uh, what John's been uh, been talking about was the uh, the tragedy of the Princess Alice, and uh, actually, Jeremy, if you'll just uh, pass me that magazine right there, because which one, the Ripper Notes? That yes, you the Ripper to Notes, edit? that wonderful magazine that I happen to edit. Which is, uh, and if you're interested in, it's the American Journal for Ripper Studies, and you can find out details at rn editor at verizon v e r i z o n dot net uh, we will be having all the details of where to contact everybody um later on and you can contact us contact our, my producer the in, the incredible mr bob i'm so gorgeous i i, I want to cry <laughs> um he will give you all the details oh, yes, the princess alice. okay well um the princess alice was a pleasure steamer that went down near woolwich in september of 1878 she collided with a collier uh, called Bywell Castle and uh, went down with uh, with quite a few number of people. She went down in uh, less than 20 minutes. Um, now, what we know of, now bear in mind that we know nothing from Stride herself. All we know is from the people who knew her, and they talk uh, during her inquest and afterwards, that Stride always said that she'd lost her husband and her children when the Princess Alice went down. Uh, now, the coroner at her inquest, Coroner Wynn Baxter, he did not believe this. And when, the, uh, when some testimony was uh, presented to her, he basically said, well, I happen to know that there was a subscription raised, and of that subscription, nobody named Stride came forward, and don't you think she would have come forward? No one has yet ever been able to prove. In fact, we know that Stride's husband didn't die in the Princess Alice. I mean, we know that he died several years uh, afterwards. He died um, of heart disease of heart in 1884 disease. in Bromley. We also know that Elizabeth Stride had no children other than a stillborn child. So we know that the story she was telling uh, don't seem to have any uh, any basis in proof. It's a lovely story, but all the research so far has yet been able. Do to you think it. that she was trying to get some of the, the the money that might have been due to victims? It it's certainly it's certainly possible. The the, the problem, uh, one of the explanations I've always known of of why there was no uh, person named Stride. Uh, is simply that she may actually have been on the Princess Alice. And remember, the Princess Alice went down in the Thames, and of course, the Thames was absolutely filthy, running with sewage. And if, if you swallowed a bit of it, you're going to get deathly sick. She may have been sick in hospital or in an infirmary, and by the time she was well, uh, the, the subscription monies had run out. So, of course, there's no person named Stride because she was too late to get the money. Or alternatively, she may have, because she was an East End prostitute, simply uh, gone around saying, you know, oh, look, I was in the Princess Alice, so I need some money. <laughs> Very the, the, good the, Isn't that nice, though? That's American for you. She, well, but, but she, she was Swedish, wasn't she? She was Swedish. Her original name was Elizabeth Gustaf's daughter, and she was born on a farm, store at Tummelhead, in, uh, near Gothenburg in uh, Sweden. So, uh, and, but she came... The, the interesting thing is, she came to England, and everyone who knew her testified that she spoke English perfectly. She didn't have an accent uh, at all. Didn't have an accent at all. So she'd been here for a very long, very long time. She was here for almost uh, 20, 24 years before she was murdered. The, the, the interesting thing for me was that she was nicknamed uh, Long Liz. And I always assumed that's because she was very tall, but that wasn't the case. No. They, they, they all seem to have been quite small. Well, she, she was about five foot five. But supposedly, I've, I've, I've read somewhere that uh, she was called Long Liz because of Stride, and anybody called Stride, it was a nickname, Long Stride. Oh. 
What do you reckon? <laughs> hadn't hadn't heard that one before. That's, that's no, good. well, okay, there we are. Uh, John, any other comments? Oh, let's put the skybox on that. Then. That's the story that I read, um, I think, in some paper. So. I, I didn't no, I'm just, um, yes. just going to make the comment of why Jack the Ripper has to... You know, a lot of people will say that he was, um, you know, um, someone important. And if we went back in time, we'd probably find um, that he was an ordinary man who, for some reason... Um, I don't know, he could have been come out, out of prison or um, commit these crimes and, I don't know, bang later or something like that. And why um, people um, say this, I, I, uh, to me, that would be the truth, that he wasn't the Duke of Clarence or um, certain uh, the, the physician of Queen Victoria or somebody like that. He, he was just an ordinary man. And uh, John, uh, you're going to have to forgive me because I'm going to have to interrupt you. But listen, it's been lovely. Thank you very much indeed for your talk. We'll be after the break with more Jack the Ripper. Jeremy Beadle. Tune in to London LBC. Call 0870 Or you can text 80023 or you can email comment at lbc.co.uk or you can ring your friends and tell them immediately to wake up if they're living in Sheffield and uh, tune into 927 on Sky and they can listen there. Now, gentlemen, uh, before we go on, I want to ask, I know that a lot of callers have been asking, uh, they, they've heard of Jack the Ripper, but they want to get started. Where do you get started? Now, I can offer, for example, and I want you each, each to come in, there is a terrific little book called, and incidentally, when we talk about books, all these books are available uh, on ripperbooks.com. That's ripperbooks, lowercase or one word, dot com. It's, it's the best site to get hold of Ripper Books. Um, but this is uh, Pocket Essentials True Crime, Jack the Ripper by Mark Whitehead and Miriam Rivet. And it's only 80 pages long. And it's a wonderful, clear distillation of the basic facts. It's a, it's a little booklet. It's a Pocket Essentials. True Crime, Jack the Ripper, by Mark Whitehead and Miriam Rivet. Uh, uh, Christopher. Well, actually, that's that's a very good book to, to start with. I, uh, my personal suggestion would be, if you think you're interested in Jack the Ripper, find a, find a short book. Find a, a small book to read through the basics of the case and see if it intrigues you. Uh, as Jeremy said, the, the pocket essential Jack the Ripper is an excellent, excellent introduction to the case. Then if you decide, yeah, I, I really like this, I'd, I'd like to get, uh, I'd like really to get into this. There are, um, there are two, two books that uh, I, can, I can honestly recommend that I think are tops of the field. And the first of them uh, is called The Complete History of Jack the Ripper, and that's written by Philip Sugden. That's been out for a number of years, but it's certainly the best history of the case that covers everything from the beginning to the end that's ever written. Excellent, excellent book. It's still in print. Uh, second book that I would unhesitatingly recommend, and I'm not doing that just because the man is sitting next to me with a loaded gun to my head, is <laughs> Paul Begg's Jack the Ripper, The Uncensored Facts, which actually, if you haven't bought it yet, you might want to hold off because Paul is coming out with a revised edition. Aren't you, Paul? I am indeed, yes. yes. So th that's Paul Begg's... Uh, actually, it's going to be called Jack the Ripper, The Facts. Isn't yeah, it? we're dropping the uncensored bit because they... Yeah, just the facts, ma'am, just, just the facts. Yeah, Joe um, Friday. But those are, those are the two, if you asked me, uh, you, you've decided you've got an interest in the Ripper and you want to learn more, those are the two books I would unhesitatingly recommend. Paul Beck? 
Well, I, I have to <laughs> have to agree with that, really. <laughs> Do you now? Yeah, the the they. Um, I I think the difference with, between the two books is that uh, mine tends to be a bit shorter, and uh, Philip Sugden goes into a lot more of uh, the speculation, and so together, I think they they give you a fair judgment. It's when a mighty tome, Philip Sugden's book. It is indeed, uh, and it's uh, it does take a bit of getting through if you're not that familiar with the it's subject. I think it, it, it is. Um, but to help you on your way, I think uh, probably, and again, uh, I, my name seems to be associated with these. I, I think a, a good book to have beside you is the Jack. Yeah. When you come across a name that you're unfamiliar with, and you, uh, as we've been doing around this table for uh, quite a bit this evening, <laughs> uh, and and you you just want to refresh your memory as to to who somebody was, then the Jack the Ripper A to Z is a useful book to have to hand. I absolutely agree with that 100%. Andy Olive? Well, I, I go for the uh, complete Jack the Ripper by Don Rumblow, a name that's been mentioned earlier, and uh, for several reasons. Um, Don doesn't tread the, the dangerous ground of actually naming a suspect, but he does give a, a general overview. And in answer to one of our callers earlier, he said that, he, you know, Jack the Ripper would probably be um, a nobody. And I may be misquoting Don here, but I always do. It says, Don says, on the day of judgment, when all things are known to all men and we stand at those pearly gates and ask for Jack the Ripper to step forward, and he does... And he, we're all going to go. Who are you? Because I, you know, Don. It was Colin uh, Wilson, actually. Well, uh, it's Don, Don, uh, Don quoting that because it will be a no one. And and equally, you mentioned it earlier, Jeremy, uh, a good overview, for, especially for those of you living in London, is to take one of the walking tours. It is is to to get a good overview. Um, and Don does that. And Don does that um, on the original walking tours. Uh, details available in Time Out. Now here's a man who doesn't. Uh, sit on the fence he's really put his heart and soul into it and which book would you recommend well the book i i read to quote unquote get me going was was um donald rumbelow's complete jack the ripper donald rumbelow also said that maybe somebody had something locked away in their attic um a diary or something like that um <laughs> Uh, but I, I do think that since Don's book was written, uh, I think it's probably um, been, been outwritten by, by the books that have be, already been mentioned around the table. The A to Z, The Uncensored Facts, and Philip Sugden. I also found Philip's a bit heavy going, and I knew a lot about the subject, but I, I, I did find it mm. hard work. It's a, it, it was a big, big read, I must say. But well, I, enormous read. I'd, I'd mentioned, uh, and Paul, Paul just brought it up. Uh, I, I happened to learn this over the weekend. I was very happy to learn it. Uh, for many years, Don Rumbelow's complete casebook would just stayed in print and didn't change, didn't change, because it, it sells. It, everyone buys it, and his publishers didn't want to uh, do a revised edition because, of course, it keeps selling. But I have learned that Don has finally persuaded his publishers to do a revised edition and there will be a final updated revision of the complete casebook at which time then Don's just going to finish and put it away. There's no no time period uh, but I expect that's going to be out within the next year or so. Can I also mention that there are magazines. Uh, we've been mentioning the Ripperologist and uh, we've mentioned Ripper Notes. We should also mention Ripperana which the editor Nick Warren uh, which covers not just ripper subjects but general murder as well uh, Nick is a, a surgeon uh, who writes a lot for the 14 times uh, it's a terrific little magazine and that's available um, if you go to my site m-y-s-i-t-e dot 
freeserve.com forward slash Ripperana. That's R-I-P-P-E-R-A-N-A. Or you can write to him at 16 Copperfield Way, Pinner, Copperfield, as in David Copperfield, 16 Copperfield Way, Pinner, H-A-5-R, sorry, 5-Y, oh dear, (laughs) 5-R-Y, H-A-5-5-R-Y. Ripperologist, uh, generally considered to be one of the finest magazines, it's it's a really terrific read. Um, That's available from P.O. Box 735, Maidstone, Kent, M.E. 17, 1JF. Um, can I give out the email? Yeah. The email is ripperologistmagazine, all one word, all lowercase, ripperologistmagazine at yahoo.co.uk. Ripperologistmagazine, all one word, at yahoo.co.uk. And Ripper Notes, uh, which is the American... Uh, version of Ripperologist and a very fine magazine it is too um, that's available uh, from 132 Colby Street C-O-L-B-Y Colby Street Bradford Massachusetts now to save spelling that you can just put M-A 01835 Massachusetts that's M-A 01835 USA or if you want to go to the um, email, rn.editor, that's rn, which is Ripper Notes, dot editor, at verizon, b-e-r-i-z-o-n, dot net. Um, all great magazines, and I recommend them all. But if you're looking for any books or any further details, the quickest site is to go to ripperbooks, uh, dot com. That's r-i-p-p-e-r-b-o-o-k-s dot com uh, and you'll find them all available there so let's see let's, who we got now we've got Sir Nicholas in Hamwell oh good morning gentlemen good morning Nicholas good morning, good morning. Good morning. right I've got three very short questions regarding to the ripper true or false um, Al, you, you mentioned um, about Tumblety the American quack doctor and there was a book subsequently written about him called The Lodger yeah yeah that true or false Alfred Hitchcock's very first movie The Lodger released in 26 is based on Jack the Ripper True. 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 Right. Also, one of the most... You've had numerous theories of who it was. One of the most famous, of course, is the royal conspiracy that the five uh, prostitutes involved, they were all witness to a marriage uh, between a prostitute whose name I've forgotten and Queen Victoria's grandson, uh, Prince Eddie, Duke of Clarence. And he had a... It was... um, Due to threaten the uh, the monarchy, so they had to be silenced. So that's where Sir William Gull was brought in, and he was. Uh, so it, is this a question? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to ask you what you thought of it. All oh, right, we said false, false, false. 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 <laughs> next, yes, next question. What have you got? Yeah, my, my next question. Of course, this was the. the we are waiting for the definitive <laughs> biography of Gull. Basis, yeah, of, of the film from Hell with Johnny Depp. Uh, are they going to release another film of uh, Jack the Ripper? So? I hope not. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that, that was a. Uh, I, I think that was a deeply disappointing film. Beautifully shot, but yeah. uh, absolutely wonderful. But the story is complete but garbage. The film has still to be made. Yeah. Uh, ah, there, this so is fun. coming from Paul Feldman, a film producer, <laughs> uh, who's actually. Uh, you've already produced various videos, Paul. Uh, I produced 
many videos um, Paul, uh, names that bear to mind uh, Paul McKenna a year to remember Pathé series um, I was really referring to the Ripper of course but carry on <laughs> uh, I ha I, I've made a, a video of the Ripper which was around about the time of the diary it was called the diary Jack the Ripper and of course it was presented by Michael Winner it um, it's been shown on national television a few times now as well um, and your other association with the East End is the Craze of course that's right I put together the production team for the movie The Craze as many right. years ago you didn't know that, did you? So, this is Jeremy Beadle, LBC 97.3, We're talking about Jack the Ripper. Let's take another question from John in Mayfair. Good evening, Jeremy. Good evening to all your, well, learned guests there. They are very learned. They, they, they don't look learned, believe you me. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I mean, I've been intrigued, though, driving around London. I mean, I'm, I'm talking... Are about you a black cab driver, John? Yep, I am, yes. Three I cheers for black cab drivers, please, Ibit. Good, OK. Do you go south of the river? This time of night. Go anywhere. North, south, east, west. You see, now, I won't have any facetious comments about black cab drivers, Andy Oliff. Excuse me, sir, would you like me to start him out now? Be careful, because if the little fella jumps on you, you'll really know about it. <laughs> sir, I won't jump on him. I should just bite his body. Stand on a bridge and watch all the cabs going south. It's quite... <laughs> this I mean, I'm not even listening to that. John, what's your question, mate? I'll tell you what it is. I mean, uh, a good old friend of mine, I haven't seen him for many years, uh, Melvin Fairclough, wrote, wrote a book, The Ripper and the Royals. Right. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Oh, oh, oh yes. no, we've heard of it. Yes. Yeah, we... but I mean, I think what's interesting about it, though, at the time he was writing it, I, I, I used to work for a large like, corporation company, and we used to do development training, and we used to uh, spend... Uh, uh, about four weeks a year, we used to have to do some work with uh, mentally ill and handicapped people in a particular hospital called the Royal Oswald in Red Hill, which is gone now. But at this time, he was writing the book. The Queen's mother's cousins were there, and this exploded into the news. And he was most intrigued. And, uh, uh, and I remember actually him coming along one day and, and met me there, you know, when I was on this particular programme. And, uh, you know, he didn't get anything out of any of them because they were institutionalised. But... It was what, what made me ring was the name Sicker earlier because he kept going on and on and on about Walter Sicker he did and obviously I think he did talk about I mean because his book come out after didn't it Stephen Knight's Jack the Ripper The Final Solution that's right yeah yeah and I, I remember him being intrigued about the Queen Mother's Cousins and Eddie the Duke of Clarence but I, I'm, I've got a signed copy but I can't remember who he said done it in the end who Melvin Fairclough yeah who did he actually uh, think that, was, it, was he one of the conspiracy theorists with the uh, Duplicates, you know, or, or you know, it was someone on behalf of someone else, you know, type thing. Yeah, Mel Melvin uh, was really uh, following the, the the Stephen Knight theory with Joseph Sickard, uh, and with whom he wrote the book. Yeah. And so that's where the Sickard element comes in. He he was uh, who was he actually the the, the main. I think I think the main one on that was okay. uh, like uh, Lord Randolph Churchill, yeah, sure, wasn't right. it? Randolph Churchill, right. yeah. And and uh, Abilene's diaries, supposedly Abilene's diaries. <laughs> the Abilene's diaries that Joseph wrote. That Joseph wrote. Well, yeah. I I don't think Joseph actually wrote them. I, I, I think it was his yeah. mentor who who possibly. Yeah. Uh, Tom, do you think uh, where Melvin, I... Melvin still believes it? Well, Melvin doesn't believe that the Abilene diaries are real anymore, and the Abilene diaries were the uh, underpinning for the Ripper and the Royals, so you, you take that as you will. Yeah. But Melvin does believe that the Maybrick diary was genuine. He worked on my, um, he worked on my research team with me for three years and was convinced that the Maybrick diary was genuine. 
Yeah, because I used to have a good beer with him every now and again. I haven't seen him for about ten years. Or so. Yeah, he does drink a good beer, Melvin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is, is, is he not a furniture polisher by, 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 by profession? Yeah, he is, and uh, he's a very good one. He's, uh, excellent, and he still does it, so I understand. Really? Yeah. It, it, it is interesting, because what you've got to remember is that whilst um, all the Ripper experts uh, uh, are experts, they generally have other jobs, whether it be film producer or professional writer, or uh, lawyers or uh, exactly. radio producers and they treat it, it at, the, at the Ripper conference one of our distinguished uh, speakers Robin O'Dell uh, who's um, uh, a, a very distinguished true crime historian he wanted to establish a center of excellence for all Ripper research and I was very concerned about that I thought it'd get caught up in bureaucracy and university Babble, whereas all the great research has come from people who are amateurs, who are enthusiastic, who are passionate, and have gone into the minutiae. The stuff that we know now is just astonishing. And I don't believe that would have come through had we been limited to a centre of excellence where it would have been sieved before you were allowed to really go into in de detail. And of course we do preserve a lot of information as well in doing this. It's not just about Jack the Ripper, it's, it's preserving uh, vast numbers of things, especially <coughs> photographs and uh, other material that would probably get thrown out. Oh, absolutely, and, and, and I, 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 I want to uh, hasten to add that interest in Jack the Ripper is not just, not just limited to the murders, because you can learn a great deal about late Victorian society just by studying the murders. I, I'll, I'll take my own particular area of expertise. I mean, when you read a book about the murders, you realize that the press seized on them immediately, and they were hugely trumpeted, and you have to think to yourself, well, where did this come from? Did this come out of nowhere? And you, and you realize that... Uh, with the abolition of the penny tax and the, and, um, uh, the institution of universal uh, learning in England, cheaper newspapers meant that uh, there were more papers looking for stories, and, the, and J the Jack the Ripper murders were a perfect example to increase circulation. So you learn a great deal about how modern newspaper, how newspapers seize on a story and expand on it and obviously you go you know go and pick up the uh, go and pick up the the sun tomorrow go and pick up the mirror and you'll well, see the same thing indeed i mean it was it was the murders actually that created the tabloid journalism that we know now via the the pages of the illustrated police news i mean that uh, centralization mm. of, the, of those mm. murders was tabloid journalism at the time but you gain you you gain a greater understanding of your modern newspaper by a study of the jack the ripper murders you realize that what you see today didn't come out of nowhere our, our grandfathers ex experience the same things that we do today well this is so grown up i cannot believe i'm doing this because <laughs> I, I actually i have to say i muck about but i i'm absolutely riveted and i do love the detail that these guys go into and when you start reading it all about and put all these odd bits of information into order it is tremendous so just to remind you that there is the Ripperologist magazine there's Ripper Notes there's Ripperana Ripperoo uh, Ah, Ripper Roo. Roo. Our, our, oh, is this our the Australian, Australian cousin? The Australian, Australian cousin, yes. Ripper Roo, I, I think that's... Oh, you're that's strong, really you crack a pint of Fosters, and you order Ripper Roo, mate. Hello. <laughs> what did he say? I, I don't know. know. <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's being Australian. I don't know. American, I, I wasn't listening to myself. I thought it was the best American accent he's done this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> they, um... So there's Ripper Roo, the Australian, uh... Rip, ripper. Yeah. <laughs> I can't 
can't be bad. Uh, there's a uh, Ripper Casebook. Yes, that's uh, for those of you who have internet access, that's www.casebook.org, O-R-G, the best site on the web for anything Jack Fabulous resource. Right, now I'm really going to put you on the line now, guys, because we're coming to the end. Well, this start with is it. Wait for it, children. Who is Jack the Ripper? No, no, don't start with me. Go, no, 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 I've got to think about this. Go to beg. I, I don't know. I, I don't think any of us know. Oh, come on. I'm uh, not having any sitting on the fence. Come on. Well, I... I, <laughs> I won't do the old gag. Um, I don't know. I, I think... Uh, I think Kosminski is still in there with a chance because... Who was Kosminski? Well, he, he was the, 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 the Polish Jew who was named as uh, a ripper suspect by Sir Melville McNaughton and who we also know was the man that Sir Robert Anderson, the head of the CID at the time of the murders, thought was Jack the Ripper, and that was tacitly supported by Donald Sutherland Swanson, who was the man who had the uh, overall responsibility for the investigation. Donald Sutherland? Donald Sutherland Swanson, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, Mr. Aliff? Uh, I believe he was um, a mortician and funeral director that lived in Hanbury Street by the name of Patrick Jeffer. Hey, where did this one go? I remember you doing this. Come on, did he really exist, Patrick Jeffer, or is he a character? I think, I you think Patrick Jeffer is, uh, is a sort of anagram. Is I, Jeremy, you're the one that likes playing games. It's I Jack just the Ripper. It's an anagram. Patrick Jeffer. It's an anagram of Jack the Ripper, isn't it? It is. It's a bit like Jonathan Goodman's. What's it? Peter J. Harpick. Peter J. Harpick, and who he? I think I know the answer to this one. We've only got a, a, just over a minute left, guys. <laughs> Mr. Feldman, who was Jack the Ripper? <laughs> it's not even a question. Altogether. It's not even a question. <laughs> Can we say it James Maybach is Jack, yeah, yeah, Jack the Ripper, was Jack the Ripper, and always will be Jack the Ripper. Um, there's no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. And is there more and more evidence coming through that makes it even more convincing? There's all the time from family and letters that I get from distant relatives and there, there is more evidence out there whether it ever comes to light will depend on the families involved so uh, for instance when you're doing a revised edition uh, of the Jack the Ripper diary or the final chapter uh, there's more stuff to, to uh, be added yes oh there's no question about it yes Okay. Uh, All right, you're back to me. Christopher again. Michael de Grazio. I, I don't think the Ripper has ever been named. If you say to me, you know, put a gun to my head, who are you going to name? I would say either Kosminski or Tumblety. To my mind, are the two best suspects. Sorry about that, Paul. No so, problem. So it's your problem, not mine. <laughs> Do you know, I tell you what. This you, is another program. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there are wonderful punch-ups, you know, the absolutely one, one of the greatest punch-ups of all time was between Paul Feldman and Melvin Harris on either side. And I, I was acting as referee during this little gladiatorial meet. <laughs> and uh, you know, the great thing was that people say to you, you better calm them down. I said, are you joking? Are you joking? This is the best sport we've had for a long time. I would like to thank everybody. Uh, Andy Aliff, Paul Begg, uh, Christopher Michael de Grazio, Paul Feldman. Thank you very much indeed, gentlemen, for coming in. And is going to get married on Saturday. Congratulations thank to you. you. And uh, the uh, wonderful Claudia. This is Jeremy Beadle, LBC 97.3. Tomorrow night...
And that was LBC Radio on the night of the 20th of August, 2003. We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by Casebook.org, where you will find over 160 roundtable discussions, author interviews, conference presentations, Whitechapel Society meetings, and archive tapes, all about Jack the Ripper, East End history, and Victorian true crime. If you have any questions or comments about any of our releases, feel free to contact us on the Casebook message boards or find us on Twitter and Facebook by searching for RipperCast. I would like to thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.